The following program may contain material or language that may be considered objectionable. Parental guidance is suggested.
All right, guys, welcome to another edition of Unplugged right here on the SNS Radio Network. I am, as always, Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson. This is the Halloween edition of Unplugged for the year 2015. A lot to talk about on the program. We're going to run down the results of WWE's latest NSC network special event. I guess that's what NSC stands for. Anyway, their NSC Hell in a Cell, which happened about a week ago. We're going to talk about the results of that. Uh, we're going to run down uh, some of the interesting bits from Raw. We don't do recaps anymore, but there were some things of interest to note. We're also going to be talking about the 10 best Halloween Havoc matches uh, from that pay-per-view series from WCW. But uh, before we get into all that, ladies and gentlemen, joining me as always from the NYC, he is my tag team partner. We'll go ahead and tag him in. Welcome to the program, Bronxzilla, Tony J. Mirabella. Listen, this is where I draw the fucking line, okay? First, I had to remember pay-per-view. Then I had to remember special event. Now I have to remember NSE. No, we're going to pick one and we're going to fucking stick to it. Well, we could go NSE for network special event. We could go SPE, which is special event. I don't give a fuck at this point. It's their their monthly fucking showing. Their their monthly thing. So to so, get so it's their monthly period, is what you're telling me. It's Ant Flow. Yeah, it comes once a month, and much like freaking tampons, it'll cost you around ten dollars. And believe it or not, this one actually had some blood this time out. So uh, there you go. It, it really <laughs> is. It really is like a period. Well, yeah, and, and here's a, here's a quick Halloween joke for you. Do you know why vampires like to go through the garbage to find used tampons? Go ahead and tell me, Tony. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but go ahead. They use them as tea bags. Oh, all right. There you go. <sighs> so, so to any women who might be listening, we're sorry that we just offended you. Hey, I cut myself shaving before, so I bled too, so relax. So you got hard, you, you got juice tonight. You, got, you, you went hard way. I'm telling you, man, I got I, I went hard way and about ten minutes afterwards I got a knock at the door and got an injunction by Vince McMahon. Oh my god. So where did you cut yourself? Oh my chin. I mean what what do you mean where on my face? What do you think I was shaving? I, with with you there's no telling. I just wanted to make sure you were shaving your face and nowhere else, and that's the only place that you had blood. Hey, listen, I'm on natural. When I take off my underwear, welcome to the jungle. Whoa, store. whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I was about to say this is a family show, but it's really not. But that's just way too much information. No, nah, man, I go for the Chewbacca look. Fuck that. Wow. Too much info. TMI. TMI, my friend. What's great about Unplugged is if we don't end up going three hours, poor JJ has to spend 90 minutes editing this shit anyway. So no matter how you look at it, <laughs> For the next five hours, I'm engrossed in this shit, so it doesn't really matter at this point. <laughs> I mean, technically, I should cut the first intro. I, I should cut everything we've done right so far and just start from right now, I think. I think that's the editing process for, for the show tonight. Yeah, welcome to Unplugged right here on the SNS Radio Network. I'm Bronxzilla, and of course, the producer and my tag team partner extraordinaire, Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson. So everything that's just there, you can cut that right in. That's right. That's right. Everything else is just cut. Fuck it. It's gone. Yeah. It'll it'll be in those lost files we'll release one day. 
So originally, you and I had planned to do this show uh, on Halloween Eve. Okay, we were going to do this on Friday night, and unfortunately, we we both had a had a rough day. I worked later than I had planned, had a lot going on, so we weren't able to get together on Friday to do this. Of course, Saturday night was Halloween, and I don't know about you, but I was busy. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you guys what I was doing in a few minutes. So we're doing this on Sunday night, early Sunday night. And, uh, you know, I know it's November 1st, but this is the Halloween edition of the show. That's just the way it is, because we're going to do it. Yeah, it's going to happen. I mean, I like worked like eight fucking hours Friday doing shit with computers. So and I called JJ and he had just gotten off work and we were both. It was appropriate for Hollow's Eve because we both sound like fucking zombies. I'm like, Jeff, you really want to do a show tonight? And JJ was like. Bro, I'm driving home. Nah, not really. Okay, fuck it. I, I, we were both beat, man. I mean, you know, we're working guys, you know, everyone. It's just we we're nine to fivers, and that's how we earn our money, man. You know, we're not rich. No, no, not by any means. But one day, maybe. I'm still trying to hit that lotto. One of these days, man, maybe it'll happen. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, man, I wouldn't even we got to do one day. We got to have a segment on the show of what we would do if we hit the lottery. I would leave everything in my fucking apartment. I would leave with, with a bag and my wallet. And that's it. I would call the landlord. You can fucking keep all this shit. I don't care what you do with it. I'm out. I don't know that I would do that, but uh, it would be interesting for sure. You would take your Xbox One, your copy of WWE 2K16, and maybe Harmony, and be gone. Oh, so that's where you want to start. You want me to start with the WWE 2K16 stuff? Is that is that what, is that was that the segue that you're like throwing at me? You know, I'm I'm the one driving the fucking ship here. I'm steering the the rudder and controlling the show, and you fucking throw me a red herring and try to get me to talk about WWE 2K16. Is that, is that what we're doing here? I want to make sure that that's what we're doing. Well, since it's the only thing that's been on Facebook for the past week, yeah, I think it'd be appropriate. I mean, I I haven't played the game. I don't have a console, but, you know, I'm hearing good things. I'm hearing more good things this year than bad things. And last year, I think that was the reverse. A lot of people were pissed off about 15. I, you know, I got to be honest. Uh, you know, when I compare the two games, I thought the gameplay last year was was very good. Um, I really didn't have a lot of problems uh, with 2K15 as far as the gameplay. I thought that was pretty smooth. Uh, creatively, you were kind of handcuffed quite a bit. There was a lot missing from 2K15. Uh, they remedied that this year. They you, you do have a pretty rich uh, creation mode. And, you know, you've got 120 characters uh, in the game. Then you've got 100 cost slots, you know, created characters that you can make and download. So you have a limit of 100 there. So if you use all those and you use all the characters in the game, you're looking at a roster of over 200, you know, and 20. So that in itself is amazing. It's the biggest roster of all time. And I'm having fun with the creation suite of it right now. I started uh, rebuilding my rosters for Saturday Night Slam Masters, and I made Zangief and, you know, Hagger, and I've made Starman from Pro Wrestling. I've got about eight characters made so far. And it's very time-consuming because in the creation mode this year, they, they've given you more moves uh, and more different, I guess, ways to hit moves, like from a, a sitting position. and It's very complex. It's very complicated. 
Um, I, I do like the gameplay, with the exception of the fucking submission system. I don't know what prompted them to change it, but I fucking hate it, and I'm having problems with it. Because it literally is a minigame where you're, you, you've you got, um, if you're the one in the move, there's a little red bar. Or excuse me, there's, there's a blue bar uh, that circles around. And then as the other person has the uh, the red bar, the aggressor has the red bar. And basically what we have to do is get these two bars together. And if you're basically fighting the computer or another person to get the submission or to get out of the submission. And once that circle fills up with either blue or red, you're either submitting or you're getting out of it. And I'm having problems getting out of them. If somebody slaps a submission on me, I'm fucked. Because I just I don't like the way this is set up. Last year it was button mashing. You had to keep hitting the A button to get out of the submission hold. This year it's completely different. The, the pin system is different. I was having problems with that initially. I've gotten to where I know how to time it now, and every once in a while I have a problem, but not so much anymore. Uh, I did play the showcase mode a couple of matches with Austin. That's been pretty fun so far, but like I said, uh, the biggest hang-up I'm having with that right now is I got into my second match. I think it was the Survivor Series 96 match with Bret Hart. And he threw the sharpshooter on me, and I fucking tapped like a bitch. Because I just have problems with that submission system. I wish I could just turn the fucking submissions off, and the game would be perfect. But they got to patch this or address it, because it's fucking bullshit. Well, I mean, I remember even in the old, like, Super NES and N64 games, no matter what engine, that was always a standard. You know, you got in a submission, and you and the guy you were playing with, I mean, I'm a going under the assumption you're not playing the computer. Well, I well no, no, play- I, I actually am playing the computer. I haven't played anybody online. I've only had it since Tuesday. Uh, I've had, you know, days where obviously I've worked all week, so I've had limited game time. So I haven't actually taken it online and played with anybody. Um, I'm just playing the computer right now, and I've got it on the easiest setting just till I get the hang of it, and then I'll, I'll jack the difficulty back up to Legend, which is what I do every year. I just have to get, I have to get the hang of the game first. I have to get all the little nuances out before I adjust that, you know, uh, before I adjust that. Well, no, but I, what I was going to say is, like, if you were if you were playing two-player, both of you would jam on your gamepad, and whoever had faster fingers, you either got the submission or got out of it. If you were playing the computer, you just jammed on the pad and hoped that you could get out. It was just, you know, hitting the button over and over again. That's been the way to get out of submissions for like decades in all wrestling games. I don't know why they changed that. Well, like I said, I hope they, they come out with a patch to fix it. Uh, on a side note, I'd like to super kick Brian Williams. Um, I don't know how many years now I've asked for a fucking chef hat. Oh, God. He but hey, hey, we, we, we got a Viking hat. We got a football helmet. Uh, let me see. What other bullshit do we have? We have a Cesaro <laughs> fucking towel. We have a Taz towel. Would it be too much to ask for for a fucking chef hat? Come on, man. I think they're just trolling you at this point. I really do. I think it's to the point where they, they know you want it and they're just fucking trolling you. Because you, since, since before you and I even became friends, when I first heard you on Wrestling News Live, you were asking about this fucking chef's hat. Oh, yeah, we'll get it in there, man. We'll get it in there. Uh, let me write that down. We'll get it in there. Fuck me. 2015, still not there. No. There's always next year. I'll win the lottery before a chef hat gets put in the fucking game. 
<laughs> You'd win the lottery and give them a million dollars just to put it in. No, no, no. Still- you know what I would do if I won the fucking lottery? Say I won $10 million. Okay, just let's throw that figure out there. What the hell? If I won $10 million, I would take some of that money and I would fucking go develop a wrestling video game to the way that I'd like the game to be. And I guarantee you, I'd make a fucking chef hat in the game. I don't know if $10 million would even be enough to develop fucking wrestling game the way shit is nowadays. Oh, I'm sure it would be fine. Yeah. I mean, you, you could probably get some, some fucking hackers and shit to make you a game. Yeah. Can you, imagine, hacker, can you imagine a wrestling game made by a wrestling fan? Well, see, I, I don't want to. I don't want hackers to make the game. I want game developers to make it with my input, with the things I tell them. That would work. Like I'd like to have a wrestling game where you can create everything. I mean, Two K is really doing this with this with this series, okay? But I'd like a game where fuck the original characters. You're making your roster, you know. You you, as far as the characters in the game, you can have as many as you want as long as your memory can hold up. Like, in other words, it's unlimited cost plots as long as you have hard drive space. So if you wanted to make a thousand fucking wrestlers, hey, go for it. As long as you got the space on your hard drive, you got it. Okay. First of all, that would be one of the things I would do. I would also make it to where you had referees that were different. One referee would be the blind referee that doesn't see things, or you know. I'd make the referee that's kind of heel-based, that lets shit go. I'd make the one that's the stickler for the rules. It would really change up the gameplay experience every time you had a match. Oh, that would be something, like a referee personality you could set. That would, that would be cool. That's a great fucking idea. Isn't it? I mean, you could really you could really have fun with that, I think. I used to like it. I forget which of the N64 games it was. But maybe it was SmackDown versus Raw. I don't remember. But you could play as the referee. And your buddy would be playing the AI. And you were the referee. And I, you got fucked over so many times by the AI that it was great to play a referee. And like when your buddy would get pinned, they had a, a freaking thing where you could just put your arms behind your back like not even count. And then when your buddy got the pin, you could do the fast three count and you could even beat the shit. There were a few times I would just turn on my buddy and start beating the shit out of him for kicks and shits and giggles. I used to love that mode where you could play as the fucking referee. It was great. Yeah, the the special referee match. I, I played that many a times with Trey and Canadian Horsemen and some of the other guys online. And I can remember times I would screw those guys or, or whatever, or, you know, me and Trey would screw Horseman or me and Horseman would screw Trey. I mean, yeah, man, that was some, I really enjoyed the special referee matches because, you know, <laughs> it's just fun to kind of fuck with people, right? I mean, it, it's a good feature to have. And what was great is your core, whatever core you picked, they would put a fucking referee shirt on them and everything. It was great. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty cool. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, I think excuse me, I think WWE 2K16 is a good game. It does have some flaws. It does have some really cool things. Um, I'll talk about it more as I get into it. Like I said, I haven't even played Universe Mode yet. I'm trying to create enough characters to have a show in my universe. Because for those of you that don't know, I do not play with the characters that are in the game unless I have obviously a showcase mode to play. But, you know, unless I do something like 
take some of the classic characters like the warrior and classic sting and uh you know sergeant slaughter and all these old school guys and put them in their own little um show or their own little thing where they only fight each other and they're not fighting the new talent you know so like it would be like having a, a an episode of WWE superstars back in the day and it would be this old school roster and every now and then i find myself playing as the characters that i find interesting because i'll have one of those shows going in universe as i'm using my other stuff but I really do not play with the in-game characters. I have always been a stickler for making my own, downloading characters, and playing those downloaded and, and created characters. I just don't get into it. And, and I think it's because I'm just not invested in a lot of the characters that are in the WWE today. I'm, you know, today's product is very lackluster compared to what I, I grew up with. You know, so much difference in today's product and the product of yesteryear that I'm just not invested in the characters. And it's the same thing with watching the show. I, I'll be real honest, Bronx. I didn't watch Raw this week because I came home late on Monday night and I didn't feel like watching a three-hour show. And so I haven't watched it all week. I just didn't care. It, it wasn't on my priority list this week to watch Raw. Well, what I usually do is, and I've said this before, is I will watch a replay on a Tuesday or something. Just I just don't want to sit through it live. I've I would say in the last five Raws I watched one live and that was about it. No doubt. No doubt. We'll we'll get into that in a second. So to wrap up the two K sixteen talk, um, you know, I would tell a lot of people out there, rent it or get it off Gamefly and if you like it, then pick it up. If you don't, because it's not going to be for everybody. And one of the biggest complaints I've seen is, oh, the four horsewomen aren't in there. There's no Sasha Banks. There's no Charlotte. Uh, there's no Bailey. There's no, um, what's her name? There's no uh, Becky Lynch. Yeah, I know. But you know what? If, if that's going to make or break the game for you, then you got a problem. You've got a very uh, rich uh, creation mode. So you can make those characters. Now, you, you won't have their moves, obviously. But... That's just the way it is, and that's that was WWE's decision not to count them in. That wasn't 2K. That was uh, WWE's call. So, I mean, are they going to be DLC? Supposedly no, but we'll see what happens. If enough people outcry and, and bitch about it, maybe they will. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, it's like every year I find, you know, wrestling gaming fans like bitching about this. Until they have a helmet and a bodysuit where you can actually wrestle a match in the ring, I don't think anyone's ever going to be truly happy. And even then, they probably won't be truly happy. Very, very true. Very true. But uh, let's go ahead and transition into Hell in the Cell. It happened last Sunday night, and uh, it wasn't a bad show, Bronx. I, I wasn't expecting a lot of great things to come out of it. Um, I was pleasantly surprised with some things. I was a little bothered by some, but uh, we started things off at Hell in the Cell with John Cena coming out for the U.S. Open Challenge, and the rumors were it was going to be Tyler Breeze, it was going to be Samoa Joe, it was going to be uh, Joe Mama from, you know, Louisiana. Nobody really knew exactly who it was going to be, and out comes Zeb Coulter on like a fucking scooter. Because uh, for those of you that don't know, he's, he's having some problems moving around right now. So he's, you know, kind of immobile. So he comes out on the scooter. And the first thought as I looked over to Mark the Shark to Carlo was, please, God, don't let it be Jack Swagger. Why in the fuck is Zeb Coulter coming out here? And, of course, Zeb Coulter talks about how kind of did a 180 
He talked about how, you know, uh, we need to come together as, as a culture and embrace others. And he ended up bringing out Alberto Del Rio. Much to the surprise of everyone. Now, there were rumors that Alberto was talking with WWE again. They had made an offer to him. He wasn't going to be on Lucha Underground Season 2. He was pretty much done with Lucha Underground. Keep in mind, he is the AAA uh, champion, the heavyweight champion. So I don't think anybody really saw that coming. And then out comes Alberto Del Rio. He has about a six-minute match with John Cena, to which I missed most of because I was actually getting plates and stuff for, for dinner. And um, he actually hits a backstabber and then does his uh, super kick. Uh, super kick, which, by the way, won him the World Heavyweight Championship from Dolph Ziggler. And in six minutes, clean pin, Alberto Del Rio beats John Cena in the middle of the ring and becomes the new United States champion. And it shocked the wrestling world. You know, it's funny because I thought the same thing. When I saw Coulter out there, I was in the chat room with some guys, and I'm like, God, no. God, no. There is no – because – I knew if it was going to be Jack Swagger, it would have, A, sucked, and B, I couldn't have seen them putting him over Cena. But when it was ADR, I was like, oh, shit, really? And, you know, the ending to the match, I don't get why people have a problem with it. I mean, I know Cena, we're usually used to him having longer matches and shit, but this just smelled of Del Rio you know, having a little incentive written into that contract. They figured, okay, John Cena is going to have to go away for a few a few weeks. He's going to do some personal stuff. He's taking time off. You know, I, I don't think, I don't really have a problem with it. I, I really don't. I mean, I thought it was okay. And the kick to John Cena's head was pretty fucking vicious. I mean, you could sell it where he was legit, you know, knocked the fuck out. And you can also sell it where Cena didn't know yeah, I mean, a lot of people have countered this by saying, well, he didn't know who his opponent was going to be anyway. But you would think, storyline-wise, he would have prepared for an opponent that was on the roster. You know, they could always have Cena say, well, I, I never expected to see Del Rio come back, you know. So, I mean, the ending, I mean, yeah, it was a little on the short side, but I was okay with it. Well, a couple of points right off the bat, and I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I, I read so many people with butt hurt over John Cena. Okay. You guys bitch when he wins. You guys bitch when he loses. It's like, oh, well, he wasn't Superman enough in that match. Okay. So you bitch when he's Superman, and when he's not Superman, and he fucking puts somebody over, you guys bitch, well, he phoned it in. You know, you you guys aren't happy with anything. I don't understand. I don't get it. I knew what they were going for with this. Was the match a little short? Yeah. Did I expect it to go longer? Absolutely. Did I expect Cena to have at least a few near falls and, and kickouts? Absolutely I did. But here's the thing, and, and I, I don't think people are getting this, but let's look at John Cena's career in the last couple of years. Last year at SummerSlam, he took on Brock Lesnar and defended the World Heavyweight Championship against Brock. And what happened in that match? He got destroyed by Brock Lesnar. I mean, it was the most one-sided match in the history of WWE. Brock beat the shit out of fucking John Cena. The year before that, John Cena lost clean in the ring to Daniel Bryan. So you have seen the progression of John Cena changing from this superhuman character 
to a guy that's a lot more mortal. And if you go back to every match he's had this year, he's had some really competitive matches with guys like Cody Rhodes and Adrian Neville, who at one point almost beat him for the U.S. title. In fact, that match could be contested, if you think about it, because it was interference by Rusev. At one point, Neville looked like he actually had the match won, and then Rusev interfered. I kind of think that you're seeing the, uh, the humanization of John Cena. And I like it, for one. I think they're taking the emphasis off him, and we're looking to maybe crown that next guy to take that spot. It's not going to be the John Cena show in the next couple of years. They're transitioning him out. But the fact that he's had some very competitive matches this year with guys like Rhodes and Neville... And they've kicked out of his AA on multiple attempts. It just shows me a a character change for John Cena. So is he the same guy that single-handedly beat the Nexus a couple years ago at SummerSlam? No. He's not the same guy that took the concrete DDT on the outside and then popped back in the ring and fucking beat three guys. That's not the same John Cena you're seeing now. He's he's de-evolved to a much more human character. Yeah, I'm sorry. Got electrocuted through a light. You don't remember that shit? Oh, I do. You know, yeah. but but now he's starting to show some damage, and he's starting to, to you know, I, I just think they're going a different direction with him, and I'm okay with that. I, it's about time that they did that. Well, the other, the other bone of contention I have with this match is I love the people, and, you know, it's not just Hispanic people. There have been some other people, too, you know, white folk, black folk who are saying, oh, Del Rio sold out. Oh, you know, he he left on racist terms. I mean, for those who don't know, uh, one of the social media guys during catering or something made the comment that Del Rio should clean off the, the plates on the table because he's Mexican. Del Rio slapped the living shit out of the guy. Now, in Bronx's world and JJ's world, that's fine. In a publicly traded company or in any company, it, it's not. And I understand where they where they were coming from. They had to let him go because he did put his hands on someone. A few months later, the douchebag who made the comment that he made was also let go. Now, people are saying he's a sellout for coming back. Well, here's the deal. When this all ended, Del Rio went about his business. He didn't say anything bad about the company. He did talk about the racism that was in the company but he didn't bury them it was certainly not a cm punk colt cabana type thing where he just fucking buried the company but he he wasn't wrong when he was making the comments that wwe has has you know uh is a racist company or there were racists working behind the scenes i mean let's look at any minority character in the last 50 years in that company the mexicals came down on fucking lawnmowers yeah (laughs) Okay, I mean, black people talk like preachers and dance. Tell me there's not some racism going on here, folks. I mean, come on. That's just a given. Well, I think the difference here is you're talking storyline racism as opposed to some real... Racism is racism. It doesn't matter if it's storyline. Look, I completely agree with what Del Rio did when he slapped the shit out of Cody Barbary who was the social media director or whatever the fuck his title was, he was absolutely in the right. The guy shouldn't have made those fucking comments, and good for him for standing his moral ground and not be, and not fucking, you know, taking it like a fucking bitch. He fucking stood his ground. Did he, did he overstep his bounds in a corporate world? Absolutely he did, and it sucked. He got fired. He was released from the company, and, you know, I... 
This whole selling out bullshit has bothered me for a long time. And it's not just Del Rio. It's like you go back to ECW when guys would leave ECW and either go to WWE or they'd go to WCW. The fans at ECW would fucking treat them like shit, sell, call them sellouts, you sold out, you sold out. Here's the thing. You work to put a paycheck, to put money in the bank, to put food on the table to support yourself and your family. And if another company pays you a truckload of fucking money to work for them, you're going to do it. Now, as far as Alberto Del Rio is concerned, he got a lot of fucking shit. I think that the, the contract right now is, is somewhere in the, I think it's like $1.45 million a year right now, is the rumor. I'm not going to say that that's accurate, but that is the rumor that is circulating. But here's the thing. Let's look at this logically. So he's fired because of this incident with this guy. And he comes back to the company. Obviously, they apologize for letting him go. They apologize for the incident that happened. They've compensated him very well. And then in his initial debut back into the company, he gets the guy who was the manager of his WrestleMania opponent in a storyline that was built on the fact that a Mexican held the World Heavyweight Championship and an American was not happy about it. So that guy was representing Alberto Del Rio and did a complete 180 to where he's now backing Del Rio, who is a Hispanic, a Mexican star. And not only that, he beats the top babyface, the biggest star in the company, in less than six minutes, clean, in the middle of the fucking ring, and becomes the United States champion. If that's not getting something out of everything that happened, I don't know what is. That made a statement, and it made a good one. Yeah, I mean, I just don't get the whole sellout shit. And, and the thing, you know what really pisses me off is all these people who say this wouldn't turn this down. I mean, I wouldn't. Look, I wouldn't. Look, it, it, if you quit your job at McDonald's, because you're being held down by the man, that's one thing. You're not under contract. It's a completely different story. It just it bothers me when I fucking hear this. Oh, he sold out. Oh, I guess money fucking trumps all that fucking bullshit. His pride isn't worth it. <laughs> Fuck off with that. I would, for $1.4 million a year, I would come down to the ring carrying a pizza in one hand, a, a fucking... I don't know, a grease ball in the other, and I'd be, you know, the day-go dream. I don't care. Give me $1.4 million a year. And it's not like they brought him back and buried him. Like you said, that's the other thing. They brought him back. They put him over. I mean, I still think they should go old school. Forget Zeb Coulter, bring back Ricardo, and have him come out in the fucking car. Because the second they got rid of that, that's when I thought they hurt Del Rio's character. But still, for right now, I just like seeing Zeb in the hover round. And I think you're right. That whole segment did smell of an apology where they're like using Zeb Coulter to say, all right, in the end, you you won. You came out on top. You know, all that racist shit Zeb Coulter was talking. Now he's, you know, he he's by your side. 
I mean, I just don't know. You people who talk about him being a sellout, you need to shut the fuck up because there isn't one of you on this planet that wouldn't humble yourself for $1.4 million a year. And Del Rio's not even humbling himself. He's getting put over. So shut the fuck up. Yeah, no doubt. Very well put. I just, I think you, you, that would be a good gimmick for you. And you could wear a Mario hat too, like down to the ring. That'd be awesome. And, and maybe we'd get you a manager that would be kind of like the Godfather. Maybe he can like ride on a Segway or something. And mumble, boss, what do I want to do here? I got an offer, Kevin Fields, you know what I'm saying? I think it'd be great. I, it's money all over it, man. I, I, I think it would be great. Come no, to me, you come want, to me on my daughter's wedding and you ask me for a favor. No, I want to cut promos as the Godfather. I mean, just really. I mean, it'd be so great. John Cena, you'll disrespect me in every way possible. And this week at WrestleMania, I'm going to destroy you, John Cena. I mean, look, I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, I know the racist shit. A lot. It doesn't fly with a lot of people. But it's never really. I, I'm just the type of person that doesn't bother. Maybe if I was a black dude or a Mexican, I'd feel different. You know, I'm, I'm that, you know, quote unquote, privileged white boy living in a one bedroom apartment. But <laughs> still, I mean, I, that shit just doesn't bother me. It never has. Yeah, Bronx takes on John Cena and gives him a meatball to the eye. Oh, shit. By God, he's been broken in half. Meatball to the eye. By God, he's got a family, damn it. A family. Oh, man, I just had to think of the FBI for a minute and fucking ECW, the foreign-born Italians. I love that gimmick. Oh, yeah, FBI was fucking good good shit. (laughs) But anyway, uh, so, yeah, first match was the, uh, like I said, the open challenge. We know what happened. John Cena lost. Alberto Del Rio, your new U.S. champion. Champion, U.S. champion, but you, you already knew that. A little chihuahua, Rey Mysterio. So our second match of the night was, believe it or not, the Hell in the Cell, the first Hell in the Cell match between Roman Reigns and uh, and Bray Wyatt. And, uh, you know, this was a good match. It started off a little slow. I got to be honest here. I think Bray Wyatt carried that match. And I'm not a Roman Reigns hater. I don't hate Roman. But I don't think that he's deserving of the push he's getting. And I don't see him as the guy that I, they're they're going to die trying to make him the next John Cena. That is that is the plan. That is the goal. That is the direction going forward. Roman Reigns is the guy. We're going to push him to the main event. He's going to be the champion. We're going to push him down your throats. And you're going to make all of us hate him like we've hated John Cena for the last fucking 12 years. But that is, that is the directive of this company. This is where we're going. So, I got to be honest. I thought Bray Wyatt was the shining star in this match. He is so miles ahead of Roman Reigns. He's amazing. I felt like he carried this match. What I didn't like about this match was, A, it's a hell in the cell match. B, why are we using tables? And C... Why are we not using the, the fucking cell? I mean, you could have just made this a falls count anywhere or a last man standing or, or a fucking extreme rules. And it would have worked just as good as putting it in a hell in the cell. You know, oh, well, he's in the hell in the cell to keep the Wyatt family out. When is the hell in the cell ever kept anybody out? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I swear to God, when has that structure ever kept anybody from interfering? 
Like, the first one, Kane tears off the goddamn door and interferes in the match between Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. Like, how many times have we seen some type of interference? I, I just, it just, it boggles my fucking mind. The match was good, but why did you need to put it in a cell? It, it just didn't make any fucking sense. You know, and to have a, a tables match before the Dudleys even come out and have their match is like, what the fuck? You know, and, and here's the thing. If you can't get a pinfall after putting somebody through a fucking table, you got a problem. Remember the old days, Bronx, when you would powerbomb a guy through the fucking table? That's the end. He's not getting out of that. He's not kicking out. That's the finish. We had three table spots in this fucking match, and none of them ended in a fucking pinfall. But what did end the pinfall was the fact that Bray Wyatt sets up the goddamn kendo sticks to, to protrude out like spikes in the turnbuckle and attempts to throw Roman Reigns into that, to which Roman counters and throws Bray into it. Bray seemingly gets an injury to his eye because he goes face first into it. Roman hits the spear and gets the one, two, three, and that's how the match ends. Now, that works. However, comma, the next part of this rant will happen after the main event. And then I'll make my point. I think you and I are going to be so close together on what you're going to say later because I'm holding it back too and I think I know where you're going to come from. But as far as, see, here's my deal with the hell in the cell. It probably didn't bother me as much that they didn't use the cell as it bothered you, and here's why. Because I knew they wouldn't. This has been years now. It's the same shit. You need to do one of two things. You either need to get rid of this concept and every year make this like a hardcore pay-per-view, or you need to start letting people use the cell again. I mean, you have to do one of those two things. Now, as far as the match goes, yeah, I agree that Bray was probably the better performer there. But I thought Roman did okay, too. I mean, I enjoyed it for what it was. I thought it was fun. It was fun for what it was. That spot through the fucking table that Bray took was fucking brutal, okay? It probably should have ended the match. But, I, I mean, I, I thought both guys did okay. I'm not saying it made it made Roman Reigns a superstar, but they both look good, <clears throat> excuse me, I thought. I thought it was a good match. I enjoyed it. But I agree with JJ when he says, yeah, it's like the cage is, you know what the cage is now, man? It's like just a prop. It's no longer that demonic structure, I mean, where you used to, you know, rake a guy's face across the fucking mesh or Mick Foley, you know, diving off the top. And I'm not saying guys need to do that because you'll have guys getting killed every year. I'm not saying you got to go that far. But can we climb the cage a little bit? Can we ram a guy's head into the cage a lot more? You know, can we do some shit to actually, you know, here's the way I think I could explain it. Years ago, when you had cell matches or cage matches, you felt like the cage was a third competitor in the match. The cage was a living entity, and it used to hurt people. That was the whole selling point behind a cage. Now it's become absolutely nothing but a prop, and I agree. So if it's just a prop, let's get rid of it and just have hardcore heaven every, every year in fucking October. Well, you know, it, 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 the cage match itself was supposed to be the blow-off in a feud. 
And I will say that at least that's it seems like that's what we're getting with uh, with Roman Reigns and Bray Wyatt, that this was it. They're done now. Their feud is over. Uh, obviously, Bray has moved on to other things. We know Roman is moving on to other things. So at least from that vantage point, it was utilized properly. But the fact that, again, it was like this invisible wall that surrounded these guys that really had no factor into the match at all. I, I just had a problem with. And I'm not a fan of having uh, a pay-per-view, first of all, called Hell in the Cell. I'm not a fan of having more than one Hell in the Cell on that fucking card. Uh, it just it takes it away. I mean, it, the match should be important enough to not have two of. That's why I never liked the Elimination Chamber concept. I never liked the, the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view concept. I never liked the Money in the Bank when it was multiple Money in the Bank matches because it's just overkill. It's hard, first of all, for one of those to top the other one you know you you your first match out you go out there you do the fucking money in the bank and then you've you know as your next group of guys they've got to go out there and do something completely different and try to compete with what they did and i think that that's not fair that, that's it's not a fair to for, for your talent and it's certainly not fair for the fans to have to watch two of them in a row i just never been a fan of that i gotta be honest but the match itself uh was a good match like I said, I had issues with the fact it was in a cell. It shouldn't have been. This would have worked even better as a last man standing or something else to end this feud. But, you know, it is what it is. Well, what they should have did was false count anywhere. That would have been a really good gimmick for these two. False count anywhere would have been great. I love false counting wars matches, especially when they when they go out in the stands or they go... They go behind the scenes and, and do shit. I fucking love that stuff, and, and we should see more of those, quite frankly. Um, our next match on the card was for the Tag Team Championship. It was the New Day retain, uh, excuse me, defending against uh, the challengers, the Dudley Boys. Uh, decent match. In the end, the New Day retained. Um, there was a spot that I thought was funny where the, uh, they, they pulled the old Eddie Guerrero spot where, uh, what was it, I think, at one point, Kofi threw the chair at, at Bubba, and he caught it and was going to use it, or the referee turned around and saw him with it, and you know Kofi was down like he got hit with the chair, and the referee almost disqualified him. And then I think he saw the the smile on Kofi's face and was like, ah, okay, the match continues, which I thought was funny, but uh, a decent match. But, you know, again, the, the tag team championship are still on the new day. I think they're doing a great job as the champions. I like to see you know guys chase them, and I think the Dudleys right now are chasing. I think that at some point they will win them from the New Day, but I almost don't want to see them win those belts again. I, I really don't. I would probably do it for like their last match. I don't know, at WrestleMania maybe, you know, the Dudleys finally get the titles. See, I'm wondering where they're going with the tag division because now I'm hearing the Usos are due to be back soon. And that's going to be an interesting dynamic to add back into the tag division. Uh, kudos to the Dudleys for putting these guys over. But I think it needs to end now. I mean, look, it's been like three, four times now New Day has beaten the Dudleys. I'm not sure where you go with the Dudleys here. But I think they're going to need to move on to something else. You know something? It's a shame in a way that the Wyatts are back together because I would have loved to have seen a program between like the Dudleys and Harper and Rowan or Harper and big um, Braun Strowman, you know, something like that. That, would have been that could still happen. I hope so. 
I mean, even though the you know the fact that right now they're they're busy with other things, the Wyatt family, uh, you know, as a stable of four right now, you you could see any number of of a combination taking on the Dudley Boys at some point. I mean, I think that that's that's not too far off base. And another thing with the New Day, you know, I've read some people say too that that somehow that gimmick is racist. I'd like to know how. I, why? Because it's a bunch of black guys having fun. I mean, it, what's the problem it, okay, with it? Okay. I think it's fucking hysterical, man. It's it, it's racist in the fact that they talk like a black preacher. That's why. So, but so, you know, uh, e- even the New Day has has commented on that. I mean, you know, Big E comes from a from a family that you know where I think his father was a preacher. I mean, and and that's the whole gimmick. But I understand what they're saying. It doesn't bother me. But I'm not a black man, so why would it? Well, they're getting over, and I, I think it's fucking great. I mean, I think just Biggie doing that dance and then them selling Xavier Woods, who, congrats, went off to get married. But I love the black armbands where they came out like he's fucking dead with the tr- the trombone that got broken, and they're so lovingly holding the pieces like he's fucking dead. I think these guys, and I tell you, I'm shocked. That a guy like Kofi Kingston, who I always thought, maybe it's because they didn't let him be himself, but I always thought he was a little bland and had more potential. He has come so far out of his shell in this gimmick. And Big E as well. Big E's older gimmicks, I never read. But him coming out and swiveling his fucking hips, it's just, it's fucking hysterical. It's brilliant. It's one of the few things I look forward to on Raw. When I hear the New Day's music, they're one of the few things that make me actually pay attention. I can honestly say they're one of the most entertaining things in this company right now. And uh, I'm thinking, quite frankly, about buying their new t-shirt. Because <laughs> that's fucking awesome. I'm loving I'm loving the unicorn horn shit they're doing now. They are just so entertaining. I mean, uh, it's great to see these three guys gelling and having their creativity to go out and do what they do and and really, I think they're the highlight of raw on a lot of nights and and I'm fucking loving it, honestly. The thing I'm worried about is th- they're almost quasi baby faces now. It's to the point now where they're like they're so fucking likable that it's hard for the fans to boo them. And and a lot of times they don't. They get a majority of the cheers. I think it's funny that they were pushed down our throats as this babyface tandem when they first started, and people hated them and they weren't buying into the gimmick. And it took a little while, but people finally came around. And and now it's it's the complete opposite. It's like they're heels, but everybody loves them. So it's it's interesting the way that that fans can can attach to certain people and uh, you know how that works. But you know the the company Vince McMahon whoever have their directives on what they want to do. And, you know, we've seen Vince not want to shake from that. If he if he wants Roman Reigns to be the, the guy, he's going to do everything he can to get him there, whether the fans accept him or not. Um, and, and I think that what they've done with the New Day, the fans now getting back behind them is, is a positive thing. So we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, well, I think you always get over better as being cool heels than, you know, baby faces. It, it's just weird. I- like, I think maybe when guys get to be heels, they get to be themselves a little more, and that's why it works. I still maintain that Roman Reigns should be heel. I mean, I yes. honest to God, right now with the build that they're doing, I almost want to see him fuck over Dean Ambrose. Because there's a rumor going around that they're, talk- they're talking about turning uh, Dean heel. To no. me, that is horrible. That is a horrible idea because Dean is so over with the crowd. The crowd loves Dean because I, I don't know what it is about Dean. It's it- It's that... 
that unpredictable character. He just has a charisma to him that, that, that draws people in. And with Roman, he's just that big silent badass. And I think that's why people don't connect with him as this big baby face where he's being forced to do this. And it just comes across so fucking unnatural. Roman Reigns should be that guy that it, when when they interview him, he said he should he should fucking keep it real fucking simple. I'm gonna fucking punch you in the mouth and I'm gonna beat your ass, and that's it. He doesn't need to fucking do long promos. He doesn't need to talk much. He needs to go out there and just beat the shit out of people. And if they gave him a heel run with that gimmick, I think within six months to a year he would be fucking hot as hell. People would be like, this guy's a fucking badass. It's the same thing with Goldberg. He went out there, not that he was a heel, he went out there and just kicked people's asses, and he had short matches, and that's what got people into Goldberg. Unfortunately, I, I was never one of those people. I never cared for Bill Goldberg. But if you built Roman Reigns up like a Goldberg, where he goes out there and has a five-minute match, and he just beats the shit out of people, people might come around to him. Well, that's the thing. We just talked about the New Day. If you turned him heel, what's going to happen with today's sick twisted fucking audience is that eventually as a badass heel people will start to like him that's like what what people i mean okay yeah he's gonna get booed out of the building if he turns on amber oh man if they did a segment where he turned on ambrose i honestly think that there would be structural damage to the building from the booze that he would get fans. See, here's the thing. When you sense that fans, and I've always said this with Cena, even though they'll never turn Cena heel, but when fans already dislike a guy, the best thing you can do is turn them heel because then the fans not only dislike him, but feel justified in disliking him and he'll get booed out of the building for a while until he, you know, the teenagers and, and guys like me who've always been fans of heels will start getting behind him and make him talk a lot less. If the guy can't cut a promo, just why did you turn on Dean Ambrose? You know what? Because it's time for the shield to die and me to be on my own. That's it. Turn around, walk the fuck away, and you've said enough. Exactly. Exactly. But we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, see, our next match on the card, if I'm not mistaken, was it the was it the woman's match next? Uh, I believe so, yeah. So let me just say right off the bat, Charlotte versus Nikki Bella. Charlotte basically defending her Divas Championship against the former champion, Nikki Bella. To me, this was one of the best matches of the fucking night. I mean, just amazing. Nikki Bella has come so far. You know, and, and we have talked about this all year, that she is probably the most improved fucking female wrestler, and not even just female wrestler. I think she's probably the most improved wrestler on this roster. You look at the matches that she's had and the way she's been able to take charge. She's obviously learned something from John Cena or somebody. Somebody's been teaching her something. But she was so dominant. She's such a great heel. And, and this played out so well. Charlotte was doing a great job of selling for Nikki. And I just, you know, Nikki Bella to me can hang with those girls. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, Nikki's untalented and she's only she was the only champion because she was John Cena's fucking cum sponge. If it wasn't for that, she wouldn't be anything. You know what? Nikki Bella has worked her ass off and she's earned her accolades. And again, she can hang with anybody on that fucking roster. So good for her. Uh I love this match, quite frankly. 
But in the end, Charlotte hits the figure eight and uh, Nikki taps out, so Charlotte retains the belt. Well, I mean, I think people don't give her credit either. For She's a great fucking heel. Not only has she improved in the ring, but she's very annoying. When she talks on the mic, I just want to fucking put a hole through my television. Well, her, her mic work has not improved. I, I got to be honest, the mic work's not great, but the in-ring stuff is fantastic. Yeah, but for her, being shitty on the mic works because it makes her more annoying. You know what I mean? It's just there's something about her that's really annoying. I mean, I think she's good. But as far as her in-ring, I mean, I agree. She really has improved. I mean, I was a big critic of hers back in the day. I haven't seen uh, Brie wrestle that much, so I really can't say how much she's improved. But I think out of the two, Nikki has definitely become someone. When, when you talk about someone like Nikki and say she can hang with Charlotte, that's a compliment. And definitely, I agree with you. She's gotten a lot better. It was a good match. Absolutely. Um, but like I said, like again, uh, again, the finish was, you know, she taps out to the figure eight, which I, I love the move. The psychology in this match was great because Charlotte uh, was getting her ass kicked by Nikki, and Nikki was working that back. Working the back because the figure eight is a move where you have to use the bridge. You know, she hits that figure four, and then she bridges backwards using her back, right? So that adds the extra tension to the figure four, in theory. So the fact that Nikki Bella was utilizing working on that back, I mean, just the psychology in this match was probably one of the best matches uh, that whole night as far as psychology was concerned. Because, you know, Nikki Bella is working a body part. And to me, that, that told a story, and that was the important thing. It kind of brought me back to what wrestling is supposed to be, you know? Um, again, I, I just I thought it was probably the best match up until the main event, honestly. And people are going to be like, what? What are you talking about? That was the best match other than the main event. To me, it was because it showed that these two women have been busting their ass. And I was more into their match than I was anything else on this until the main event, to be honest. Well, it's good to see something that pretty much has died in wrestling, sadly. I mean, how many times did did you and, and even me criticize The Miz when, you know, he wrestles the whole match and never goes anywhere near anyone's legs and then puts on the figure four and it's over? You know, Ric Flair used to work that leg. Like, from a few minutes into the match, he would start pounding that freaking leg, and you knew he's weakening the guy down. You know, that's what submission wrestlers used to do. And when you see someone like Nikki doing the opposite, who's saying, hey, this bitch needs to use her back to put me in that figure eight. So guess what? I'm going to break her fucking spine. That's psychology. And then it also helps when you have someone like Charlotte who sells the fact that her back is fucked up. That is so, so very lacking in the product today, that's psychology. And I think that's why we enjoyed the match so much because when it psychologically makes sense, it also makes sense to the viewer. So I agree. It was a good job by both gals. Next up, we have uh, the WWE World Heavyweight Championship match. That's right. You heard me correctly. The World Heavyweight Championship match was next. Seth Rollins defending against the Demon Kane. It was a decent match. I got to be honest. Um, I really wasn't into it. First of all, I don't see Kane as a credible threat. I don't see Rollins as being um, a very credible champion. I mean, when the U.S. championship has more prestige on this brand right now than your world championship, there's a problem. You know, I heard it was supposed to be Roman who eventually breaks Punk's streak. 
I'm almost worried they're going to do it, try to do it with Rollins, and I don't think you can. I I love Seth. I think he's good on the mic. I think he is a phenomenal heel. But I'm about done with his title run. I think it's time that we need to do something different because his title run drags into that whole thing that annoys me about Monday Night Raw is 90% of the weeks that opening segment with the fucking authority out there and then him out there. Like I said, I like Seth. But as the champion, I think it's time to do a little something different. I mean, what are we coming on now? Like eight, nine months he's had the belt. How long has it been? It's about that. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when Triple H was champion back in, say, 2000. We are doing the McMahon-Helmsley era. Yeah. And it's exactly, I mean, it's like they're booking him to be Triple H. And I don't, I don't agree with that. I think it's horrible. I think that Seth Rollins is going to be a huge baby face once they finally turn him. Once Hunter and Steph fuck him over and he becomes that baby face and maybe he has that WrestleMania match against Hunter Hearst Helmsley or Triple H at, at WrestleMania in Dallas, I hope that's the, the direction that they're going because right now is the perfect time to build that. But I think once he becomes a baby face, uh, because he's already wrestling like a baby face, he's doing baby face shit. I mean, you know. He doesn't wrestle like a traditional heel. He goes out there and has, you know, these fucking flashy moves and shit. I, you know, the only way he, he comes across as a heel to me is is, is in his promos and when he fucking does the cowardly heel shit. Uh, aside from that, he wrestles like a baby face. So I think it's about time to go ahead and execute that. Take the belt from him. Let's move on. I think what would be awesome is if they fucking did a double turn and they fucking had the authority back Roman. And Roman becomes the new fucking heavy for the authority. And Seth is on the on the outs. I think that would be amazing if they did that the right way. But who knows? Yeah, and I think you have to do a lot of repair work to Seth if you if you did that angle. Which that kind of comes into Monday Night Raw, actually. But if you did that angle, it would be cool to have that double turn. Because Seth could rebuild himself then. He has to then, in order for Seth to be a good babyface, he has to prove that he really doesn't need the help. You know, I thought they were they were on to something that time when Seth told the authority, no, I don't want you motherfuckers to send anyone out here. I'm going to, I think, who was it against? Was it Kane? I don't remember. Where he told him, don't send anybody out. I'm going to do this on my own. And for a second, I was like, yeah. That's what they need to do because it's almost like the reason I believe Seth isn't believable as champion is because there's been so many matches where the only reason he went over was because of the authority. And even as a heel, you can overdo that. And I think they've overdone it to the point where the fans say, yeah, this guy has the title, but I don't believe in him as the champion because the second he doesn't have the authority behind him, he's going to lose. That title, that title hasn't been important since Brock Lesnar lost it. Exactly, exactly. Oh, it, it was Ambrose. I remember now. It was Ambrose when he told them, I don't want help. But, you know, that's what they need to do when he turns face is he needs to win matches on his own. I like that thought. I like the double. We haven't had one of those in a while, a double turn, man. I think that could be great between him and, and um, Roman Reigns. I, I'm going to tell you now, and this is, you know, obviously, who am I? I'm just some guy that fucking has a radio show and talks wrestling. 
I'm not somebody that's ever had a fucking run in any of the companies. I'm I'm fucking nobody. I'm just Joe Blow. And that's fine. I'm just giving my opinion. You can, you know, accept it or not. I don't care. But if, if I had had the book on this thing, I would have completely changed the direction of this company over the summer. When they had that series of matches between Dean Ambrose and fucking Seth Rollins, and you remember he took the he took the title from Rollins. He didn't win the title, but he took it. Why yeah. didn't why didn't they just, you know, like have him take the belt? And then at the Money in the Bank or whatever, what was that ladder match? Was that was that Money in the Bank? Uh, yeah, I think so. Whatever, I don't remember which which pay per view it is. They're all just kind of a blur. But but that last match that the two of them had for the title, where the finish was fucked up, and they both pulled the belt down, and then Seth ended up with the belt. I think it would have been awesome if they would have. And I said this before. Had they let Dean Ambrose win the title after having it for like what a week, he, he stole the belt. Letting him fucking win that belt, and then have Roman Reigns come out, and the two of them embrace and hug, and oh, it's a great moment, and then fucking Roman kills him, and takes the title. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah, that would have set Roman up. He could have run as a heel. You would have had Ambrose, who was hotter than hell. Going after his buddy, his former friend. Now, of course, Seth Rollins will be the odd man out. You could have, you could have, really jump started the authority turning on him, and you know, like you could have facilitated that. But if I had the book, I would have, I would have made some serious changes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think Ambrose can really. He did so well when Roman Reigns was injured. I mean, he was doing so great. That shit in Brooklyn where you saw him taking the fucking train and everything. It was done so well, and the fans were so behind him. And as soon as Roman Reigns' groin healed up, you know, he was back in the mid-card. Uh, you know, I never understood that. They, you, remember the times in wrestling, JJ, when a guy was over with the fans, they actually <clears throat> put him over? Remember those days? I do. What really bothered me was last year at Survivor Series when Dolph Ziggler was the sole survivor of his team and was the star of that fucking match. And then the minute Roman Reigns came back, they cooled off on Ziggler. It's like, oh, our, our new our, our, our toy's back. This is our guy. Sorry, Dolph. Thanks for everything you did. Thanks for getting that huge fucking push and, and, and helping the, uh, you know, the John Cena win and, and all the. It was just, it was like he was an afterthought. And they just pushed him right back down the fucking mid card. Like, like I said, it, it's all, it's, it's about Roman Reigns. It was the John Cena show, and now it's fixing to be the Roman Reigns show, and that's that's the direction that they're heading in. My God, that match that Dolph Ziggler just had, he survived. He's the sole survivor. I can't believe it. Dolph Ziggler is the next star in the WWE. Dern, 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 dern. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I don't know. It's it, it's ridiculous. But, uh, and get rid of the fucking shield music, please. Give this guy some Samoan drums or some shit or some evil sounding music. Can we really? I mean, okay, he stopped wearing the fucking flak jacket. Thank you, Jesus. But can we get rid of that fucking theme song, please? Because that's who he is. John Cena wore jorts for fucking years. And Roman <laughs> Reigns is going to wear the fucking SWAT gear. It's just the way it's going to be. But, uh, like I said, moving on, I wasn't real impressed with, with Kane and Seth Rollins. To me, it was an afterthought. I thought it was funny that they weren't the next-to-the-last match. The match after this, I guess, was the cool-down match or the, hey, I need some nachos or I have to go take a piss or take a shit. And and it's sad because I like both of these guys. 
I'm still a very big fan of Ryback, even though people have just kind of turned their back on him. Uh, I still think that WWE did a huge disservice to this guy because he was fucking hotter than hell at one point, could have been a major star, and they completely killed him. And um, Kevin Owens, who I think is is becoming a huge star in this company and, and one of my favorite performers in the WWE, big fan of Kevin Owens, uh, the Intercontinental Championship match, Kevin Owens uh, retains easily against Ryback in a match that really nobody gave a shit about. So it was positioned here as the cool-off, and um, it is what it is. It wasn't a great match. It wasn't a horrible match, but it's definitely not a match that I can remember. So there you go. Kevin Rollins, or Kevin Rollins, Kevin Owens, still Intercontinental Champion. I don't think they're doing Owens too many favors either. I mean, you mentioned this a few times. It's like, and here's Kevin Owens' son, you know, daddy, daddy, you know, he's good. And I'm not making fun of his son. The kid's adorable. But, you know, daddy, daddy, he's fighting John Cena and everything. He's a family man. He loves his family. I do this because I love this business and I love my family. And he's a heel. It's hard to boo a guy that's fucking supporting his family. Yeah. And that bring, like, that's, that's my biggest problem with, with the Kevin Owens character is oh, I'm a prize fighter. I do this I, I do this for my family. It's like you can't fucking boo that guy. You know, it, it's like they're trying to get away from faces and heels. They want that shades of gray. And I, I fucking think that in this day and age, you still have to have good versus evil. That's what wrestling was about. It's always been good versus evil, in my opinion. And and, and I just, I don't know. I'm just kind of sick of the, the shades of gray, you know. Give me, give me a strong baby face and a strong heel any day of the week. Give me a cowardly heel and a strong baby face. Doesn't matter. I just, I'm not a fan of the shades of gray. Now it's quasi-heel against anti-hero. There's no more good guys and bad guys, you know? And poor Ryback should be the ultimate warrior. I mean, Ryback should be coming down there and having two-minute squash matches with guys. And then when he's having matches with, you know, with, with major stars, obviously it should go longer. But... I just I feel bad for Ryback. I, they should have never put the Intercontinental title on him. If if, if it was like it, he was sabotaged from the get go. No, he should have stayed what where he was, fucking beating Brad Maddox into a coma and stuffing him in an ambulance. That's what he should have been about. You know, you you mentioned earlier that Roman Reigns is more no. If if everyone calls him Goldberg anyway, okay, that stupid shit. It's died down. But you know what? If people were going to call him Goldberg and Goldberg doesn't want to work for your company anymore, I think that fucking Ryback would have been the better guy to turn into a quasi Goldberg where he just comes out, kills motherfuckers. He's attempting to walk away. Byron Saxton or some other idiot comes up to him with a microphone. Well, Ryback, you know, what do you think about that match? And he just snorts and walks away without saying a fucking word. That would have been so great for Ryback. I agree. I mean, you know, he was recently on the Stone Cold podcast, and um, he basically told Steve Austin that he thinks he's the next guy he could replace John Cena. And that's a great attitude for him to have. And I would say two or three years ago, I, I would I would fully endorse that because he should have been. Now he's been damaged so much as a character i don't think that they can they can get him back to that level you know i'd love to see it because again maybe i'm a dumbass but i'm a ryback fan i like the guy and i think that he's worked his ass off to get where he is he doesn't have the best matches 
but he has a charisma to him. I don't like his long, stupid promos. When he keeps it short and simple, I think they come across very well. But Ryback, to me, is a likable guy, and, and I could see him in a position where he might be that next guy. But, like I said, they've kind of damaged him to the point where I don't know if they can now. But I'm glad that he has that attitude that he thinks he can do it because that's the kind of guy you want in your company. You, every guy should have that attitude. I'm, I'm going to be the next star. I'm going to be the next guy. I'm going to be the next John Cena. And when everybody in that company has that, that mentality, people step up and, and people you know get a push. You know, you have to work for it. You have to fucking work your ass off for it. And unfortunately, sometimes you work for it and you get the raw end of the fucking stick. And I think Ryback did get the raw end of the stick. They needed a bad guy to go in, uh, go against John Cena, and that completely killed him. Yeah, and he seems like a nice guy, too. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it sucks. But let's see. I think he'll be around for a while, but he's going to unfortunately stay mid-card. But let's see what they do. Well, keep in mind, he's been with the company for almost 10 years. Oh, my God. God, are you kidding me? Really? He was a part of the Million Dollar Tough Enough back in t- uh, 2004. Seems and like he just debuted. I'm telling you, man, I'm getting fucking old. That's what I'm saying. You've got, they just, it's like they can't build stars anymore. You know, I don't know. That's why they're relying on guys like The Rock to come back and Brock and Undertaker because they just cannot build stars anymore. You know, and, and unfortunately, a lot of the problem these stars have that they're trying to build is this brick wall named John Cena. Because how many guys have survived the John Cena effect? And, and I don't even hate Cena. But when you look at the guys that they've they've brought up against him, they've hit the wall as soon as they hit him. And they've gone right back down to the bottom of the fucking card. Rusev is fucking in mid-card hell right now. Yeah, Rusev, is, he's fucked all different ways from Tuesday. Bray Wyatt certainly got no favors. Ryback certainly had no favors. Kevin Owens started to stall out. But I think he's about to get a, a major resurgence once Sami Zayn comes back. I'm telling you, WrestleMania in Dallas, one of the matches on the card is going to be Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens for the Intercontinental title, and it's going to be, like, fucking awesome. Yeah, I think all that shit we read a few months ago about, you know, those fat jokes in the locker room and shit. I think that was all a work and it was all a test this guy. They were testing him to really see is he capable of main roster. And he certainly is. I don't think there's one wrestler back there who doesn't respect this guy. Well, let me let me ask you a question. Does it matter that he's fucking fat? Does it matter that he doesn't have a perfect physique? I mean, let's go back to the day. When you had fat guys in wrestling, I can think of a couple that were fucking awesome. You're going to tell me that Yokozuna, because he was fat, wasn't a good athlete? Go back and watch a Yokozuna match. For a guy that was 600 pounds plus, he's agile as fuck. And rarely did he get winded. Look at King Kong Bundy. He was a fat bastard. He did pretty well. You know, I mean, Vader was a fat guy. He did pretty goddamn well. Bam Bam Bigelow was one of the most athletically fucking fat guys I've ever seen in my life. What I'm saying is I'm thinking that that whole thing that we heard about was just them like fucking testing him. You know, when you come to the main roster, man, they do that. They fucking they fuck with you. They test you to see if you can take it. And he was cool about it. I mean, I don't think there's one guy back there that doesn't respect it. The guy is fucking amazing. Well, he's he's one of the top guys on that fucking roster as far as guys that can work. I mean, let's be honest. I don't think it was the boys giving him shit. I think it was people like Kevin Dunn and Vince McMahon. Fuck Kevin Dunn. 
you know. But again, I, I'm not there. I didn't see it. it. This is all, you know, speculation and hearsay. I don't know what's going on backstage. I don't even. I'm not even going to say that, you know, or, or try to profess that I do. If that's the rumor going around, I, I find it hard to believe the boys will be giving him shit. Kevin Owens is probably one of the best wrestlers they have in that company. I love showing his matches to like non-wrestling fans or wrestling fans who haven't watched in a while. And he first comes out and they're like, who's this fucking plumber? And then the match is over and they're sitting there like, the fuck? You know, he's deceptive. I like that. You know, it's cool. It's cool to see a, you know, a guy who's not roided up. He's believable. He's a guy that, you know, us Cheeto munchers can relate to. Call me crazy, but I think Kevin Owens could be the next big deal in this company. Me too. He's great. I mean, I think he's going to have a massive baby face run at some point. I think he could be Austin-esque because he just doesn't give a fuck, you know? I think I think he could be the next big guy to step in and actually do something. I, I don't think Roman Reigns is the guy. I'm sorry. I just don't. Nah, Ro- Roman has so many dr- – and you know what? I don't dislike – I don't want anyone to misinterpret. I don't dislike the guy personally. I think he's got a phenomenal look. I think when he plays the monster, he's decent in the ring. I mean, I don't hate the guy at all. But as the next, you know, as the next big thing, nah. He's not his cousin. You know, and that's that's the biggest problem in this company. Right now, there's two people on this roster that are Rock's cousins. And that's Roman Reigns. I mean, obviously, the Usos are cousins, too. But the Usos have, have earned, in my opinion, the Usos have worked their ass off to get where they are. Oh, yeah. Roman Reigns was put in the shield because, you know, you go back to CM Punk talking about how the shield was formed. That was not the guy he wanted. He wanted Cassius Ono, Chris Hero, to be in the shield. And they went with with Ambrose and Rollins, and then they they wanted to put Roman in there because that was their guy. Because, again, related to The Rock, they think that there's something about this guy. Maybe he'll be the next Rock. Not going to happen. Not only do I think, is he not going to be the next Rock? But his fucking other cousin, Nia Jax, is the drizzling shits in the fucking ring. And she's got her spot because of who she is. I just, I don't see anything great about her. She's an awesome Kong wannabe, and she's not even that fucking good. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, you know. It's nepotism at its best, folks. Talent doesn't always work. In fa- I am the, everyone else in my family is blue collar. I am the first white collar worker, like computer tech, fucking sit at a desk guy in my family. Okay. There is no one else in my family that knows shit about computers. And I don't know shit about installing windows, which is my family's business, you know? So it, it well, doesn't, wait a minute. You, mean, didn't, you didn't know about installing windows on a computer. Oh, well, d- d- beautiful. See, that's why JJ gets a big money. Great, you know, great fucking analogy. But, you know, fucking genes don't always mean that you're going to be talented. I mean, San Martino's kid fucking sucked. I mean, David Flair was hideous. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is what it is, man. I just you can't go by that. You know, you just can't. No, you can't. Uh, So next up is our main event. Brock Lesnar, Undertaker, Hell in the Cell, the rubber match, if you will couple of things i had with this match that really bothered me for one was the commentary listening to jbl say oh when he beats the undertaker in the hell in the sale he's going to cement his legacy let's back the track up there jbl he did that about 12 years ago i was in attendance for it he's already done it 
So why do we need to reference the fact that once he beats The Undertaker in Hell in the Cell, his legacy cemented? He's already fucking done that. He did it in 2002 at the No Mercy pay-per-view in Little Rock, Arkansas at the fucking Altel Arena. I was there, bitches. So why did he go on about this shit? Like, it just, it fucking drove me nuts. He'll yeah. become the most decorated guy in WWE history. <laughs> Okay, yeah, he's already done that, dumbass, but thanks for moving. I mean, come on. Just fuck off with that shit. I, I was real skeptical about this match going into it. I thought, what are they going to do? Because they, they can't do what they did in 2002. I mean, this, this, was, this match was miles away from what that one was. You go back to the one in 2002, and those guys were bleeding profusely all over the place. There was more blood on the mat than there was in their bodies, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of fucking blood. Heyman was a factor. You know, they utilized the cell in 2002. Uh, it was just an amazing match. And then right into this match, Brock Lesnar gets cut open hard way. Goes into the pole. Boom, he's busted open. Mm -hmm. Then Undertaker gets busted open. It, it seemed to me like these guys were not supposed to go out there and do it, and they just did it anyway. And I think that was good that they did because it added to the match. It gave the match drama. You can't have these two have a blow-off in a hell in a cell and neither of them bleed. They both needed to bleed, and I don't think either one was reprimanded. And I, I heard rumors that Vince was upset because they were both busted open. And at one point, the, the medic was attending to Brock, and Brock shoved the fucking medic out of the fucking way. Yes, get the fuck out of here. I'm selling pay-per-views. Fuck you. I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was great. And, and I thought these guys had a, a fantastic match. And then Harmony was bitching at me because... Brock hits the, the nut shot, the low blow, and then, you know, ends up getting the victory over The Undertaker after an F5. And she's like, well, how does that make him any different than The Undertaker? I said, because he didn't initiate it. He got fucking nut shotted twice and paid him back. That's retribution. Completely different. Undertaker, well, Undertaker nut shotted him to get the advantage. Brock did it as a fuck you to get the upper hand. Well, it's like when, when Lex Luthor uses kryptonite against Superman too many times. Eventually, if he pulls it out again and Superman burns his nuts with his x-ray vision, yeah, Superman's the baby face, but how much are you going to take? You know, I had no problem with that. I thought it was karma working at its very best. I mean, fucking Taker is hitting hit this guy in the nuts about 10 times already, Okay. Yeah, I had absolutely no issue with that. I thought it was great, and I will say I've been a little hard on Taker over the last few months, but I will say that he really did a great job. I almost think this was a case because Taker and Brock in real life like each other. I think this was a case where they got together by themselves and said, you know what, we're going to bleed, fuck them if they don't like it. We're going to do this. Look. Taker is that locker room leader. He is probably the most respected guy in the company. Brock Lesnar, he's also been probably the top draw in this company since he's come back. Anytime Brock's in the main event, you're interested. You really think they're going to get punished if they decided to fucking go a little out of the box. I mean, I thought it was great. The doctor spot, I think that was a legit shoot. I think that motherfucker was sent out there to clean up the blood, and Brock said, fuck you. I mean, and I'm fine with that. It really did add to it. I, I agree. I had 
very low expectations for this main event, and I was completely proven wrong. I thought it was good. Now, again, I rewatched their original Hell in the Cell match about two weeks ago, and once again, I was sitting here traumatized for about 10 minutes after it ended. I just remember the, the visual at the end where Brock is standing on top of the Hell in the Cell holding up the undisputed title. Yeah. And the Undertaker is just fucking down, and he's looking up at Brock Lesnar, and he's just fucking blood's just gushing out of his fucking head. It's gruesome. Yeah, but I think every so often you need to do that. I mean, you know, the whole PG thing with blood that I don't get is, you know, once you reach six, seven, eight years old, you've probably been busted open more times than most wrestlers. Kids skin their knees. They bump their heads. When I was seven, eight years old, I was very familiar that there's blood inside of me. Well, okay. here's my thing. Look. I understand why, you know, they're a PG product and everything, and I know that, that blood, you know, is kind of iffy. But when they're doing their special events on their own network, I think you should allow it. I mean, like, honest to God, I don't know what, what kind of advertising that they have for, for, the, uh, for the NSEs, the SPEs, whatever the fuck we're calling them these days, because they're not PPVs. I guess for some people they are. but You're really pissing me off now. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I'm like Vince McMahon here. I'll do whatever the fuck I want. And there's nothing you can do about it, buddy. But anyway, That's, anyway. Um, sounded more like Wolverine than Vince McMahon. <laughs> I've got claws and I can use them, bub. <laughs> um, what, was my, what was my point here? I, I, I just, I think that, you know, Monday Night Raw, yeah, you probably shouldn't bleed. SmackDown, yeah, you probably shouldn't show any blood. Pay-per-views, NSEs, SPEs, absolutely. If, if, if. And I'm not saying it needs to happen a lot, but every once in a while, it needs to happen. Like, I don't know, a cage match, I expect to see blood. A ladder match that gets violent, I expect to see blood. A falls count anywhere, an extreme rules, a fucking feud between two guys who legitimately fucking hate each other. To tell that story, sometimes you need to have a little blood. Yeah, and then you've got the comeback where the baby face touches his forehead and sees his own blood and starts kicking ass. My God, my God, you know, the, his own blood, his own blood. It's got him going crazy. You know, it works sometimes. I mean, you know, again, like JJ said, it doesn't need to be done every week, but I had no problem with it last weekend. I thought it added to the match, and I thought for – you know what it was taker did a great job and i'm glad they made the right decision because brock definitely should have gone over so i was thoroughly i was fine with the main event until the events that happened afterwards which you alluded to earlier so after brock lesnar uh gets the pinfall the one two three which i love by the way that he tore up the ring and they exposed the the wood under the uh, the wood yes. as part of the ring i thought it was fantastic I literally thought the Undertaker was going to choke slam him through the boards. I thought that they had set up a spot where the board was like they were going to break that board, and he was going to go, you know, like a choke slam to hell. And Brock was going to, you know, come back up, and they were going to do something kind of like that. But it didn't happen, which is fine. But I like the fact they exposed it. The only other time I've ever seen that done was I think TNA had a match where Bully Ray did it, where he broke he he basically tore the ring up and. And I think Pyle drove somebody or something. I don't know. He did something and beat somebody. And it was pretty cool. But uh, after Undertaker's trying to get up, uh, I like how he sold that he was having problems getting up. And then 
the Wyatt family comes out, and they beat the shit out of the Undertaker, and then they carry him off. Now, I didn't have a problem with the Wyatt family coming out and beating up the Undertaker, because obviously there's a story here. But let me tell you what I did have a problem with. I had a problem with Bray Wyatt coming out, and he was completely fine. Like, nothing had happened to him earlier in the night. Like, he didn't get his fucking eye almost impaled out of his fucking head. There was no bandage around his fucking head, you know? He wasn't selling the fact that he had an eye injury. It's just like, what was it, a year ago when they did this thing, they, they did the feud with uh, with Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose, and Ambrose got the trachea injured by the fucking kendo stick on SmackDown or at a pay-per-view, and he comes back out like nothing happened, like on SmackDown. Like, you know, like consistency, fuckers. You know, play off the injury. Have Bray Wyatt come out with fucking one eye. You know, like make him wear the fucking bandage like he was in a war with Roman Reigns. But no, he just comes out like nothing happened. Oh, I just had a match. It was pretty brutal, and I'm fine. I really had a problem with that. See, I hadn't even thought of that. That's not where my problem came from. Psychology, man. That's that's the point. Like, to me, WWE has become the live action version of fucking the Roadrunner cartoon, where Wiley e. Coyote, in this case, will be Bray Wyatt, comes back after getting the anvil on his head, or falling off a cliff, or getting blown up like nothing happened to him, and that's a problem. Here, here's my issue, and I'm not disagreeing with anything you said because, to be honest, again, that didn't really cross my mind, and, and you're you're absolutely right. But that wasn't my original issue. My my issue with this is, we've already seen this. We've already had Bray Wyatt start with the Undertaker, and here's my problem with Bray Wyatt every single month. It's like JJ and I get into a huge fight. We have a big fist fight in the parking lot. JJ beats the shit out of me. And I walk away from that fight and go and attack Anthony Farley. And I beat the shit out of Farley. Then we have a big fist fight and Farley kicks my ass. Well, Farley's used to getting his ass kicked, but that's another story entirely. I get up from that fight and then I go to, as I'm still bloody, I walk to Sensational Sean's house and knock on his door and start shit with him. And then he beats the living shit out of me. And once again, I pick myself up and I go and I knock on mine wipes door. It's, it's fucking... Bray Wyatt has a one-month feud. He gets his ass beat at a pay-per-view and then starts fucking with someone else. Gets his ass kicked at the next pay-per-view, starts fucking with someone else. Can we give this guy a storyline? Is it that hard? You could give me an hour, and I could write two months of programs for this motherfucker because he's so good. It's, it's hard to take him seriously as a guy, as a threat, when he gets his ass beat constantly and... The feuds are resolved, and he hasn't fucking won them. You know, it, it bothers me, and I and I agree with that point, Bronx. But my initial point was I just didn't like the consistency here. You know, if, if you know, back in the day, for example, say you had the four horsemen beat the shit out of Dusty Rhodes. Say there was supposed to be a tag team main event at the end of the night, and the four horsemen get the jump on Dusty Rhodes, and they beat the shit out of Dusty Rhodes. And Nikita Koloff is his tag team partner. And later on in the night, Nikita Koloff goes out there by himself because Dusty Rhodes got his ass beat. But in the middle of the match, Dusty Rhodes walks down to the fucking ring. He limps because he's hurt. He's got a fucking bandage around his, his waist. You know, his fucking eyes bandaged because, you know, they, they, they fucked him up. 
and, and he's he's moving like he's hurt, and he gets in the ring and he tries to help Nikita out. There's consistency there. That makes sense from a logic standpoint. That hey, this guy got his ass beat, but he's still going out there to help. And I just I have a problem that they don't do that now. It's just like these guys are all superhuman. All of them doesn't matter. You, you fucking you know your penis gets fucking cut off in a fucking match, and you come out fucking an hour later like nothing happened. I'm I'm good. I'm good. It's okay. Wow. Okay. It's, that, like, it's, it's basically the Caitlyn Jenner match, you know? Yeah. You know, there's no trauma. She comes out. She's wearing a dress now. But, you know, hey, <laughs> there's no consistency. Uh, yeah, I get, you know what I think it is? It's so PG now that, you know, you, you use, you talked about the Roadrunner cartoons. I think that's the way they, they book it now. Like, it's me, a me. cartoon. Me, me. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember when I was a little kid, I used to say that. How did this motherfucker fall off a cliff and in the next scene he's doing shit again? Dude, if, if, if I'm a kid watching the Roadrunner and, and say I'm outside playing and a coyote comes up to me, I'm just going to stand there because in a minute he's going to he's going to get hit with a fucking anvil and I'm going to be fine. I mean, like, it's it just it's fucking it, it's ridiculous. You know, I, I just I need more realism in my wrestling. And that's why I miss the old days. That's what invested me in the characters, because they pulled you in. And they told you a story. And that story made sense. And now it's just like watching a live action cartoon. I remember that scene in WCW when Bischoff had lost that match and lost his power and became Ric Flair's limo driver. And he leads Flair into the desert and Flair, the NWO shows up in a helicopter and fucking kill Ric Flair. They kill him. They leave him dead. And then later that night, and he's still bleeding. He's crawling down the ramp to the ring, covered in blood. You know, he didn't run down to his music like nothing happened. He would fucking, he crawled down to the ring and got his ass kicked again. But it was still, you know, realism. I mean, human beings, when they get their asses kicked, they get hurt. If somebody, if I stick a fork in someone's eye, I'm going to do damage. They're going to need a bandage. You know, you don't come out 10 minutes later like you're fine because then it doesn't seem real. I don't think they give a shit about what seems real anymore. That That's the problem. Well, you know, it's just like, it's just like, for example, the DDT. Okay. Say I have you in a match and I, I fucking hit a DDT on you from the top rope and you kick out 10 minutes later. I fucking hit you with a move that doesn't look anywhere near as devastating. And I pin you with it. What the fuck? (laughs) Does that make sense? No, it makes no fucking sense. You know, like I've seen Ziggler deliver some really vicious DDTs to people and people kick out. And then he hits you with the zigzag, which I don't think is nearly as devastating a move as, as some of the DDTs I've seen him do. And he gets the win with it. It just it the fucking psychology is not there. It just doesn't make sense. Jim Cornette said it best. Back in the day, you punched a guy with rolled up, <coughs> with a thing of rolled up quarters in your hand, knocked him out, put him in the hospital. That was a six-month feud. Yeah. Now you DDT a guy through a barbed wire covered fucking table with glass underneath it, and you pin him, and the next night he comes out on Raw like nothing happened. No, no, he, he kicks out of that. And fucking gets pinned by a fucking sidewalk slam. Or a fucking weak-ass attitude adjustment. 
or a fucking Hulk Hogan leg drop. Yeah, there, there you go. I mean, there you it's, go. it's almost like you fire a gun, you empty a fucking ten round revolver into a guy's chest, and he keeps coming. But when he gets to you, you slap him in the face, and he goes down and starts crying. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fucked up. That's what it is. But uh, Helen Nacelle's in the books, man. I know we're a week late talking about it, but uh, I did want to talk about it on this podcast. Letter grade, Tony, if you had to give it one. You know what? For all its flaws, I'm going to give it a straight up A just because I thought I enjoyed it. I just thought it was a good show. Yeah, they didn't use the cage as much as they should have, but I still thought both of the Hell in a Cell matches were good. Uh, the Undertaker-Lesnar match, I was not expecting it to be anywhere near that good. Um, they didn't do too many things to piss me off. I mean, it, it was okay. I mean... My expectations for WWE are not very high right now, so I'm going to give it an A. I'm going to disagree and go with a B. Um, I, 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 I don't think that it deserved an A, but that's just my opinion. I, I think that it wasn't the best pay-per-view this year, and it certainly wasn't the worst. It was somewhere around the middle there. Uh, there were two or three matches I thought were really good, and the rest of it was just kind of filler. So I'm going to go B. Um, you know, Again, I thought Nikki Bella and... Charlotte was probably the second best match of the night, followed by maybe Bray and, and Roman in their quasi Hell in the Cell match that had nothing to do with Hell in the Cell. And of course, I still think match of the night had to go to Undertaker and Brock. So, uh, you know, that's it for me, B. That's fine. I mean, that's okay. We're not always going to agree, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it's still not a bad letter grade to get a B with the shit they've been pumping out lately. I mean,. You know, the pay-per-views I haven't had too much of an issue with. It's fucking raw. <laughs> That's killing me. It was killing me, but I just stopped watching it. I just don't care anymore. I mean, if, if there's anything major that happens, I'll catch it on YouTube if I remember. Uh, you know, it just, they're so good at reminding you of what happened. You don't even need to watch raw. <laughs> I mean, you just watch the fucking special events, right? You just watch the, the NSEs or the SPEs or the PPVs, whatever the fuck you want to call them. That's all you need to watch. Because they're gonna they're gonna get you updated on everything that's happened, you know. You're gonna see, you know, everything that's gone on in all the major feuds. Just in the recaps. So why watch it anymore? Yeah, you can go to your favorite wrestling news site like wrestling onlinecom and read the results. So fuck it. I mean, I, that's what I do now basically. If there's something that I think I wanted to see, I'll go back and watch it. That's what I do. No doubt. No doubt. Well, I'll tell you what, man, why don't we take a commercial break? Probably the only commercial break of the show. We come back. Um, there's just one other thing I want to talk about. With this being the, the Halloween edition, we just ran down the Hell in the Cell. I want to talk about uh, the 10 best Halloween Havoc matches from WCW. And that was a pay-per-view that I think started in, I want to say, 89 was the first Halloween Havoc. And I think the last one was 2000. So, um Let's talk about that. I mean, do you want to talk about Raw before we take this quick break? I mean, was there was there much to talk about on Raw, really? The only thing I really care about that happened on Raw is there was a number one contendership tournament for the WWE title, and Roman Reigns won it. I, I mean, we're done. I mean, that's basically about the only thing I really want to talk about. That's oh, it. Oh, wait, wait. There is one other thing that happened on Raw. I guess Kane has been kidnapped by the Wyatt family as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kane's been kidnapped by the Wyatt family as well, so now we have two brothers kidnapped. So 
I mean, everything else, like you said about filler, was to me kind of filler. I mean, it's almost a week later. Go back and watch it. But Roman Reigns is your number one contender. I'm assuming he's going to be uh, fighting the champ on the next WMR or PPV or SPF or whatever the fuck it is. And no, no, no. It's, it's NSE. Network what? Special Event. NSE. Or or SPE, special event. Not SPF three sixty or or JBL or any of this other bullshit. SPE or NSE or PPV. And I'm almost afraid they're gonna put the title on Roman at Survivor Series and it's gonna be too soon. I, I just have a feeling. I will say though, I do like the fact that now Bray Wyatt is the eater of souls. He's not the eater of worlds. He's now the eater of souls because he's feasting off the Undertaker's immortal soul and he wanted more, so now they have Kane. And I'm liking where this is going until tomorrow night when Papa Shango gets abducted and they start fucking feeding off of his soul too. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, what? so, I mean, what are we going to have? at Survivor Series, another... T- well, no, I know what they're going to do. You're going to have Team Taker against Team Wyatt. I see it already. So it's going to be The Undertaker. It's going to be Kane. It's going to be Papa Shango. Maybe The Boogeyman. Because, you know, we're going with the supernatural gimmick, right? I mean, the Brothers of Destruction are both, you know, these these fucking, you know, supernatural characters. And Bray Wyatt has become this supernatural entity. So, I mean, that leaves us with Papa Shango. I mean, Sting, I don't think at this point, is ready to be to be coming back. I mean, he got hurt. I don't know if, if the original plan was to have Sting here. I, I don't know where they're going here. But I think Papa Shango might be a, a good guest tomorrow night. He's going to just guest appear on Raw, and then they're going to take him out too. I don't know. Because he'll fit. He fits in with this. I mean, he's a fucking witch doctor. He's a shaman. He's Papa fucking Shango. Or, or Kevin Sullivan. Bring him back. That'd be great. Father... Yeah, maybe Kevin Sullivan could come back and have the Yeti, or and I don't mean fucking Josh from Tough Enough, for those of you thinking that's what I meant. I'm talking about the fucking horrible Yeti that was played by Ron Reese that on an episode of fucking Halloween Havoc was dry humping fucking Hulk Hogan along with the Giant. Wasn't he dressed in bandages or some shit? Yeah, he looked like the mummy, not the fucking Yeti. When I think of the Yeti, I'm looking like like a Bigfoot thing, right? The yeah. Yeti in WCW was like the fucking mummy, like a seven-foot-tall mummy, bandaged up. It was ridiculous. Oh, the good old days. Oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. But anyway, on that note, let's take a break. And uh, we come back, we're going to talk some Halloween Havoc. I miss that pay-per-view. I fucking miss that series. Why WWE doesn't resurrect it and do something with it, I have no fucking idea. But we'll talk about that and more on the other side of this break. Listen unplugged right here on the SNS Radio Network. It's the original KID. Started in 91 in the state of NC. In the place to be, your boy paid his dues. When held a visa spot, all the marks are through. Vertebraker, we'll break your spine. Vertebraker, does the trick every time. Vertebraker, we'll slap your face. Vertebraker. Uh, you knew me as Sugar Shane, you may have known me as the Hurricane, but this is the Shane event, Shane Helms. 
and you're listening to Unplugged on the SNS Network. Now back to the show with Tony J. Mirabella and Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson. right here the sns radio network sns unplugged i am mr money on the mic jeff jackson he is bronxzilla tony j mirabella that was bat dance by prince from the batman motion picture back in 1989 and it just wouldn't be a halloween show without a little bat dance i don't remember that from that movie i remember party man Party Man was a good one, but Bat Dance, like, it, it intertwines a couple of different songs, like The Future and Electric Chair, and all of them, it's like, stop the press, Vicky Vale. It was fucking great, man. I mean, I, I, first of all, I'm a huge Prince fan. I love his music. Prince is a fucking genius. But I really enjoyed uh, the soundtrack to Batman because it was all Prince, and, and I thought it told a really good story to go along with the movie. I'll tell you, a lot of people, I mean, I, I think Chris Rocket said this, there was always an issue of who was better, you know, Prince or Michael Jackson. I think Prince won. I mean, not just because he outlived him, but I, I think. <laughs> wow. Wow. That just, that just fucking happened, folks. But I, I just. Well, and of course, you know, Prince wasn't accused of. Forget it. I, I just think. No, I love Prince, man. And he plays. He plays his own instruments and shit. I mean, he's a talented fucking dude. I mean, his dress style, I question. But other than that. The difference being Prince doesn't hang out at Sears in the uh, little boy's half, you know, pants half off sale. So there you go. Ow. <laughs> I, tried to, I tried to save it, but, you know. I, mean, I had to go in the gutter, man. You know, we, we, we teased this at the top of the program, but what did you do for Halloween? I really didn't do much. I mean, it, you, when you're an older guy with no kids, you know, for you it's different because you have kids. But when you're an older guy with no kids, it's really not much you can do. I mean, I went went out to the store yesterday and I saw a bunch of ki- little kids dressed up and it was great. I mean, these two little girls were so adorable. One was Batgirl, the other one was Supergirl. And then I saw this guy and it really sucks because 
my hands were full. I had groceries and I couldn't pull out my phone. But if I could have, I would have asked him for a picture. This guy was dressed up as Beetlejuice. And I mean, he was spot on. He had the striped suit, the fucking dirty blonde hair. He had the makeup on and shit. He looked great. And I even commented on it. I said, yo, dude, that costume's great. Oh, thanks, man. You know, I just, I enjoy seeing other people like dress up. It's just not for me. My sister did bring me a big bag of candy last night, though, so. Very cool. For me, you know, with it being on a Saturday, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I got up in the morning and did some things. Uh, did some running around. Had to go pick up Sienna from somebody's house because she had to sleep over the night before. And um, I really didn't know what Lexi was going to be for Halloween because she kept flip-flopping. You know, a lot of times she likes to be a princess or whatever, and this year she really didn't know. And so I went to the dollar store to pick up some cheap makeup and stuff, and they were out of that. And because I, I had thought about doing, you know, some face painting and, and doing something with my hair and just kind of dressing up as something. I didn't end up doing that. However, while I'm in the dollar store, I see this cat mask. It's like a half cat mask, and it was like two bucks. And it was kind of had a greenish tint to it. And it was very ornate looking. It kind of looks like one of those like Mardi Gras masks, you know where like half the face is covered, and, and it was pretty cool looking. So I picked it up. I thought, you know what? It's two bucks. If Lexi uses it, great. If she doesn't, it's something to play with. Who cares? Took it back to the house, and she fucking loved it. Her and Harmony had, had as soon as they saw it, made designs on what they were going to do. So she went out as a, as a cat last night, basically. Uh, we did some face painting, and like under where the mask was, we gave her whiskers and, you know, everything, and it was really cool. And uh, Sienna did half of her face up as like a skull, which she did a really good job on that. So the plan was to take Lexi trick-or-treating. And I thought about it, and I'm like, okay, I'll take her trick-or-treating, but I wanted to go out to another neighborhood. Usually we do it just in, in my neighborhood, and she usually does pretty well here. But I thought, let's do something different, because we were at a, a mutual friend's house last week to, to get some things, and they were talking about having a sleepover with Lexi and, you know, I said, well, what about next weekend? She goes, well, it's Halloween. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. So she said something about maybe us, you know, she goes, yeah, you should stop by for Halloween. And that was in the back of my head. I didn't say anything to Harmony all week about it. So I decided last night that I was going to take her out to that neighborhood first and take her trick-or-treating. I get there, and they've gone all out on their fucking house. Like, they've got a wonderful house, first of all. But in this neighborhood, uh, it's a really big neighborhood. And they went all out for Halloween. Like, my buddy Ken had, like, this table set up on the outside where he was dressed up like a clown, almost like the clown from American Horror Story that was in the, the last, uh, the freak show edition of the show. If you haven't watched that, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but those that have watched it know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So anyway, he's got this this makeshift body on the table. And he's pulling the guts out of it. Like, he made guts out of, like, some nylon pantyhose and uh, some foam stuff and really bloodied it up, and it looks fucking awesome. So he's got an axe, and he's chopping, and he's pulling the guts out as people come in. And inside, they've got a, a nice elaborate setup with all these, these blow-up things and, and skulls and everything. And they've got this big-ass glowing spider on the fucking front lawn that looks like the spider from It. You know how it was all mesmerizing and shit? Like, they've got, this thing looks like that, right in the front lawn. And so I get there, and I'm just wearing a fucking hoodie and jeans and everything. And um, he has two daughters that are Lexi's age. Um, 
and of course they were super excited that she was there because uh, Ken had called them and and you know uh, their mom was with them and so they came back to the house and got Lexi and they took her trick or treat and so she went around the neighborhood with with a couple girls her age that she really likes and got a ton of candy and so I stayed and chatted with Ken and, and had a good time and at one point he gave me a leather face mask and so I had the hoodie on and I just put the mask on and put the hood you know kind of over my face a little bit there was a severed head and so I would pick the severed head up and when people would come to the to the door on the outside because we were we we're outside all night I would pick up the machete and kind of play with the fucking severed head and I'd look like Leatherface. And we actually scared at least two or three kids off. One kid would not even walk up the fucking steps. Like, his parents were like, come on, come on. He's like, fuck that shit. I'm out of here. Like, we made two kids cry, and I felt horrible about it. Then I thought about it. That's good heat. (laughs) That was really good heat. But, like, I just had fun. I was rocking the leather face mask, and, oh, man, it was fucking creepy as hell. People were coming by and taking pictures, and, oh, you guys are awesome. So I had a really good night, and the fact that I got to do that. As soon as we were done there, um, had to have been about nine o'clock. I got Lexi and we went back to our, our, our place and we went trick or treating for an hour and she had, she came back with two bags just from our neighborhood. So she scored like four big bags of fucking candy for Halloween. See, I'm taking it as, I mean, first of all, you know, some people nowadays, what you did, that's a freaking lawsuit. You know, oh, I scared two kids, but that's the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to scare the shit out of little kids on Halloween. That's the whole point. That's the fun of it. And the other thing is I'm taking it that where you live, it's a lot less like metropolitan than where I live. Because here's the sad thing about New York. No one trick-or-treats at, at homes anymore. All the kids trick-or-treat in the stores during the day, which is fucking sad. It is. Because night, you know, everyone is so, you know, you have to be so careful now because you've got these sick motherfuckers out there who want to give kids poison or, or do some shit. And it's a shame. I'm glad that you still live in a place, you know, where you can take kids to, to homes and not be afraid. You know, that's the way it should be. But here it's like the, the little, the real little kids trick or treat with their parents in the grocery stores till it gets dark. And then the fucking teenagers come out who they should drop a fucking bomb on because all they do is screw shit up. And it's a shame, you know, but I'm glad to hear where you live. It's still kind of old school. Well, next year, because, again, they weren't planning on me coming out. And Harmony's like, well, you crashed their their, their fucking thing. I said, I didn't crash. I said, they said something to me last week about I should bring Lexi out there to to trick or treat. Was it my plan to hang out there all night and and help him with the stuff? No, I was going to take Lexi physically, but... When I got there, it was like, you know, the, the, the two girls, Annie and Lucy, you know, who are two of her best friends, wanted to hang out with her. And I thought, man, she she trick-or-treats with me every fucking year. She's never been out with, like, her friends to go trick-or-treating. I'm like, this is an opportunity for her to go out and do that. So I let her do it. And she still got to trick-or-treat with me after the fact. So I had a blast, man. I, I fucking had so much fun next year. They're going to plan for me to come, and we're going to do something, like, even better than what they did this year. Like, I don't know how we're going to top that, but, like, next year, like, I'm going to plan on, on taking Lexi out there and spending the whole night out there and fucking having, having a blast. Yeah, you enjoyed yourself. That Just say it. That's the fucking reason. That, well, no, I did. I did. It, was, it, was, it went back to my fucking childhood. Like, I had so much fucking fun last night scaring the shit out of those kids. 
you know, and, and I didn't do anything other than just kind of like do like the Jason fucking shit. You know, I'd fucking look at him and I was all creepy looking, you know, it, was, it just it fucking came out great, man. Like it was I, I, I didn't do much. It was just the way that I fucking move. My body language was fucking awesome. Silence is scary. That, that That's the thing. That's the whole thing about that character. When you just sit there with a fucking mask on and you got the knife and you're staring at people, that that's psychology. That's the best way to do shit because that scares the shit. You know, I would rather have a guy running at me with a knife and screaming about how he's going to kill me than a motherfucker just standing there with the knife just looking at me. You know, it, it's you got good psychology and it worked. You know, kids will get over it, you know. Well, I know at one point Ken had to take off his mask and be like, I'm just a goofy dad. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. It was funny, man. But, like, uh, we had a blast, man. It was it was cool. And like I said, I'm looking forward to next year. I don't know what we're going to do. But if he wants me to be Leatherface next year, I'm just going to bring a chainsaw. Like, <laughs> we're, we're just going to fucking do it up. They've got to sell a gimmick chainsaw. They have to. You know what I did one year that was fun? I had a pretty good replica. You've seen Jim Carrey in the mask, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I had a pretty good replica. It was a complete over-the-head Jim Carrey as the mask thing. So I put that on, and I actually wore a suit. <laughs> so I looked. I mean, I was an overweight mask, but I was the mask. And I remember I had to go somewhere, and I actually, this was before 9-11 when you could get away with this. I actually got on a public bus with the mask and just fucking paid my fare and sat down, got to my stop and got off, and I was still wearing it. And everyone was cool with it. You know, you try that shit nowadays, you'll get fucking arrested. I mean, it, it, it's funny, though, and I mentioned this to somebody yesterday because... While I was out going to the store, I saw all these groups of kids and their parents dressed up and all the houses were decorated. I hate to say it, and this might offend some people, but I think Halloween is more celebrated than fucking Christmas now. In some places, I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, it's like people people fucking deck their houses out like you said your friend did and they... You know, they've got lights and shit, and it's amazing. I always liked Halloween, and it's cool when it falls on. It, it'll suck next year because it'll be on a uh, – uh, next year's a leap year, so it'll be on a Monday, and that really sucks. When it's on a Saturday night or a Friday night and the kids don't have to go to school the next day, it's really cool. No doubt. But uh, let's go ahead and transition into uh, something I wanted to talk about, and you and I have talked about this before, but uh, I fucking love – the Halloween Havoc, you know, pay-per-view. Um, WCW did it, like I said, from, I think, 1989 to 2000. And because, uh, obviously, they, they went under in 2001, so they never got a chance to have uh, that final Halloween Havoc. And I don't remember the last one, to be honest. It wasn't very memorable. At the time that uh, this company went out of business, it was some of the worst television that they were doing, and it was just horrible product at the end of 2000 and early 2001. But Halloween Havoc was always a show that I, I looked forward to watching. Um, you know, I just love the concept of it, you know, because you'd see the announcers maybe dressed up uh, as, as characters. Uh, one that stands out to me was the 93 Halloween Havoc where Tony Schiavone was dressed up like Jesse the Body Ventura. And, I remember that one, yeah. And Ventura was his, his, his you know, broadcast co-host, and he was dressed up as some kind of a weird fucking doctor or something. But, like, you know, that, the pay-per-view was fun. And, you know, I've compiled a list of, like, the ten best Halloween Havoc matches, uh, you know, from Halloween Havoc. 
and we're going to kind of run over those. Um, I also had a list for the that I found online for the ten worst, and and I don't know what happened to that list, and I really don't want to go over you know ten that were like horrible, but there's one or two that I want to talk about that were pretty cringeworthy. Um, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into into the list. All right, let's let's start off with number ten, and this is the ten best matches from Halloween Havoc. Number ten, I actually have one that I think is a bit underrated, and it's uh, from Halloween Havoc '93. There's going to be a couple from Halloween Havoc '93. First off, before I, I jump into this match, I went back and watched one of the matches from Halloween Havoc '93 tonight, and I'll tell you which one that is when I get to it. But the opening for Halloween Havoc 93 was awesome. These, these kids are trick-or-treating. They're walking down the street, and they're arguing. You know, the, the one kid says, well, I'm going to pick the next house to go to. And there's this haunted mansion-looking thing, and he decides to go to it. And they knock on the door, and Tony Schiavone answers the door. And it's a very creepy Tony Schiavone. And he's trying to scare these kids. And at one point, they open the door, and then he's up at the top of the steps. And they're like, Mr. Schiavone, how did you get up there so quick? And you know, it, it's just great. And he's like, you guys want to see something scary? How about Cactus Jack and Vader in a spin-the-wheel-make-the-deal match? And, uh, you know, the kids are giving him shit, and, you know, they're unimpressed. And he's like, okay, you really want to see something scary? And then he, like, goes like he's going to pull a mask off, and he becomes, like, this big fucking Bigfoot-looking creature. And the kids run out of the house, and then that's that's when it goes right into the live pay-per-view feed. It was just fucking great. Like, they did a good job on putting that together. It was cheesy, but fuck, it was good. Yeah, I mean, and you had Turner's money where they could do all that special effects shit. Yeah, it was it, the whole gimmick behind the pay-per-view fit in. You know, somebody in WCW snapped their fingers, and I don't know if it was Bischoff or who, and said, fuck it, it's October, let's do a Halloween-themed pay-per-view. And and Bischoff, by the way, since you brought him up, he opens that show wearing a Confederate uniform. Really, I don't remember that. <laughs> he he he's dressed up in a Confederate uniform, and he and he's you know talking about the card, and he's like, and and you know let's let's send you to the commentary desk with Tony Schiavone and Jesse the Body Ventura, and he's literally wearing like the same outfit that our Truth wore on Raw those couple years ago. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> That was my infamous slavish comment. You know, if Booker T had been doing commentary at the point at that point, it probably wouldn't have worked. Probably not. Probably not. But number ten on my list of some of the best Halloween Havoc matches of all time. Number ten is Davy Boy Smith versus Lord Steven Regal for the WCW World Television Title. This is Halloween Havoc, nineteen ninety three. And if you remember back to that time, uh. Davy Boy Smith had a brief stint in WCW where he feuded with Vader. And why they never put the title on Davy Boy against Vader, I'll never understand. But they had that cringeworthy fucking shit with Davy Boy Smith and Sting and, and Vader and Sid. And they were the masters of the power bomb, And they had Cheatham the evil midget go and blow up their boat. <laughs> you remember that shit? I'm trying to cheat him, the evil midget. Yeah, this little <laughs> evil midget fucking ran onto the yacht and blew it up. And it was like Sting and Davy Boy Smith were like, they thought they were on there. It was like this big bash the beach tag match they had where it was like Davy Boy and Sting versus Sid and fucking Vader, the masters of the power bomb. And it was just some cheesy fucking vignette shit that they were doing. But it was cheat him, the evil midget. And he fucking blew up their boat. 
great. I remember Masters of the Power Bomb. I actually do. But I don't remember Cheatham the Evil Midget. Oh, you got to go back and watch. I'm sure it's on YouTube, man. You can look that shit up. But WCW was... Okay, look. I love WCW from the early 90s. Let me be real clear here. When I started watching WCW religiously, I mean, I think I started watching it, I want to say, 89. And... I really got into it because at that point you had the Nasty Boys and the Steiner Brothers and fucking Legion of Doom were there and fucking Doom were there. You know, Ron Simmons and and, and uh, Butch Reed. And you had Mark Marrow, who was Johnny B. Bad, and fucking the Freebirds were there. Like, great roster back when I started watching WCW. I think WCW was at its best, some of the best stuff they were doing was the shit from 89 to about 93. Once Hogan came in, I, I kind of disconnected out of it. I, I wasn't a big fan of what they were doing with that. They brought the Dungeon of Doom in after that. and I just wasn't a big fan of what they did because they transitioned everybody out of the fucking company. You know, you lost your Steve Austins. You lost your Ricky Steamboats. You lost your fucking Vaders because Hogan came in. You know, you lost your Rick Rude. You lost a lot of fucking meat when Hogan came in. And they replaced it with some, you know, fucking Jim Duggan and, you know, Hogan's friends and Brutus the Barber Beefcake and shit. But I think some of the best fucking TV they were doing was WCW Saturday Night in the early 90s. I'd say it got bad around 94. Mid-90s it got bad, and it didn't get good again up until the NWO stuff. Because there was about a period, about two or three years, where that shit was unwatchable. See, I'm a little different. I got into it around the same time, and I got into it for a little bit because I didn't have cable TV until like 1989 in my area. So we couldn't see WCW until we finally got cable. And then when I started watching it, it was, you know, before Hogan came, and I really, to be honest, didn't care for it too tough. I didn't really start getting huge into WCW until right before the NWO shit. And you're right. It was kind of corny because I remember the Kevin Sullivan shit. And I was like, really? You know, the Dungeon of Doom and shit. It it was like, uh, I remember when Vader was there, you know, how big a deal he was for a while when Foley was there. But. I mean, I didn't really, until WCW really hit its stride around the NWO era, I remember some stuff from back then. But it's like in a fog, kind of. Like the midget shit, I I do not remember that. Blowing up their boat. Well, getting back to this match, um, number 10, Davey Boy Smith and Lord Steven Regal. When Regal first came in, he was kind of a babyface. And then... You know, he started the uh, the Lord Stephen Regal, Acrista, you know, the aristocratic is what I'm trying to say. I can't say that word. When he did the royalty gimmick, basically, you know, the, the blue blood gimmick. And he had, you know, fucking Bill Dundee as, you know, his, his manservant, Sir William. He really started clicking. But when he was the world television champion, he was awesome. Because he didn't have to always win the match. There was a 10-minute time limit draw on that belt. So at any given time, he defended that title, it was 10 minutes. And whether he won the match or the time expired, he kept the championship. And that was a great gimmick. That's why I miss time limits today, because they could do so much with that. And they've completely you know, abolished them in WWE, which is ridiculous. But the thing I like about this match that really makes it stand out 
is you always think of Davy Boy Smith as that big fucking power guy, you know? You go back to his his British Bulldog days, and he was a very fluid wrestler. You know, he he could mat wrestle, he could do high flying shit. He was a powerhouse. And then you look at his WWF run when he was a singles guy, and he was just, uh, you know, he wasn't really a, a great wrestler. He was just this powerhouse. Well, in this match, him and Regal are mat wrestling, and they're fucking doing some great shit. I mean, some of the best mat work I think I've ever seen. And of course, the end result was there was a time limit draw, so Davy Boy Smith doesn't win the title. And Lord Steven Regal was able to continue that heat by keeping the belt. But I really think that they, they missed the boat with Davy Boy Smith. They really could have done something with him. Shortly after this, Davy Boy went back to the WWE and uh, found himself involved with the Owen Hart, Bret Hart feud. And, you know, it was just, it was a waste. I, I really think that they misused Davy Boy here. But this is one of my favorite matches from Halloween Havoc, and, and it's at number 10. Well, another thing I miss is the whole concept of a TV title. I mean, you and I have talked about this to nauseam, about how great it was, you know, to have that title where, you know, guys defended it on TV and, you know, like you said, the time limit and shit. I mean, now, you know, the last television title we had in any company was in TNA and it wasn't defended on fucking television. So I I don't know. No doubt. No doubt. Um, going on to number nine, I've got uh, Doom, which is Ron Simmons and uh, Butch Reed. Why do I always forget his name? Uh, taking on Arn Anderson and Ric Flair, and this is for the WCW World Tag Team titles. At the time, Doom was the tag team champions. And this is from Halloween Havoc 1990. And this was actually one of the biggest matches on that card. I think the other match on the card that was the big deal was Sting versus Sid Vicious for the WCW title. Sting was the champion, and uh, Sid was the challenger, and Sid was a part of the Four Horsemen at that point in time. But this was a huge match, and you know, when you think of Ric Flair, you think of him as more of a singles wrestler than a tag wrestler, but he and Arn Anderson were just magic. I mean, those guys were fantastic together, and why they never became tag champions, I'll never understand, but th- this was an amazing match. You know, if there was, you said this before, and I totally agree, because one of the guys that really stood out to me in WCW, even as a, you know, a kid, and, and I don't, I, I don't have a great memory for shit like 30 years ago, but one guy who I do have a memory for whenever he picked up a microphone was Arn Anderson, and especially in the ring. I mean, if you want to talk about a guy, nowadays maybe he's a lot more rated than he used to be, and there's a lot of nostalgic fans who give him his props. But, you know, Arn always had to walk, and and I'm not necessarily saying this is Ric Flair's fault, but he always had to walk in that Ric Flair shadow, that fucking Four Horsemen shadow. But on the mic and in the ring, Arn was fucking amazing. Uh, If he had like a a really, really huge singles run, I I could only imagine what it could have been. I agree with that. I I always thought Arn was a very talented guy. I hated seeing him in spots where he had to put over like Eric Watts because Eric Watts was the drizzling shits. But I remember his feud with Eric Watts back when Bill Watts was the booker for WCW. Arn has always been one of my favorite guys to watch. His Spinebuster and DDT were fucking the best in the business. I know that Jake probably is has the best DDT ever, but Arn was a close second. That motherfucker was awesome. And that Spinebuster was sick. 
Yeah, the Spine Buster was good. And Jake, I think th- the reason people remember Jake so much with the DDT is because it became the RKO of his time. You well, know, he, he invented the move, though. I mean, accidentally, he invented the move. Right. It had never been done before that. There was, he had a match, and I can't remember who it was with, but he, he tripped and fell into a front face lock with the guy, and it got a huge pop, and that's where the DDT came from. It wasn't a choreographed thing that they decided to go do. It just it happened by accident, and it looked fucking phenomenal. You're the only person on planet Earth who would fucking know that. I'm not the only person who knows that. That's amazing. I did not know that. The DDT was invented by accident. It was. Wow. Fuck it, it works. Let's use it. <laughs> and I think it looks devastating the, the the way that he used to do it, where he'd slap the back when he you know, you know, when they when they would hit the ground. Like the only other person I thought that did a really good DDT, other than I'd say Arn Anderson, was when Raven was using the even flow. Raven's DDT was pretty badass. Yeah. I like Jake's because he used to like reverse into the motherfucker which was amazing like you'd have jake in a move and you thought the match would, was over and he'd fucking turn it into a ddt exactly ah i miss those days so next match on my list here at uh, number eight is uh probably the best match goldberg ever had goldberg versus diamond dallas page from halloween havoc 1998 for the world heavyweight championship this this one has an asterisk because this one wasn't actually seen on pay-per-view. This one was when they had the uh the match with with Hogan and Warrior and it went long and it was a terrible match. And we'll talk about that one in a little bit, but they went over time on pay-per-view and basically this card was built around Goldberg and DDP. And as soon as they go right into the main event, the fucking pay-per-view feed cuts off. So the next night on Nitro, they had to replay this match so that people could see it. And people that bought the pay-per-view were fucking pissed. It was horrible. But the match itself was fucking phenomenal. DDP carried uh, fucking Goldberg to an amazing match. And I still say to this day, he's never had a match that was anywhere near that ever again. Like, that was it. That was the best match he ever had was DDP. Now, this this is one I definitely remember because I remember watching the pay-per-view and uh, that's when you had your little black box. (laughs) And I wasn't too pissed that it got cut off early, but I was like, really? And then I remember the next night on Nitro, well, we're going to replay this match due to the mistake, you know, and it was. It was, I I don't think if, if you go before that or after that, you'll find Goldberg looking better. And it really wasn't Goldberg. It, it was DDP. For a guy who really didn't get in the ring until like his fucking 30s, I mean, he had been involved in the wrestling business for years before that. But DDP started off very late. And it's amazing how fucking good he really did get. Oh, no. He, he did get good, but... I've just never been a fan of the guy. I mean, he was. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. I, I'm just not a Goldberg fan. I never thought he was that good. Oh, I'm not talking about Goldberg. I'm talking about uh, DDP. Oh, I'm he, sorry. I thought you so, said Goldberg. Oh, Goldberg. I, oh, I agree. I, I'll fucking say more. I'll say I thought he was fucking terrible most of the time. I mean, he was. He was all look i mean he was the guy who had the look he had the gimmick and i like goldberg i liked him 
But as far as me looking at a great wrestling match, no. Uh, Goldberg, definitely. I enjoyed seeing him go out there and beat the shit out of guys. But even then, before I became a really, really smart, smart wrestling fan, when on one Nitro he has 65 wins and next week you tell me he has 102, there's a problem. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) No doubt. But, yeah, as far as DDP is concerned, I mean, that dude – you know, he worked his ass off to get better. I mean, he started late. I think he was what in his in his late thirties when he started to become a wrestler. He was our fucking age. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, he he worked his ass off, and uh, I think he succeeded. I mean, I, I like DDP. I I, I got to say that guy worked hard to get to where he was. So, and he had good matches. So you know, like I said, best match Goldberg ever had was with Diamond Dallas Page at Halloween Havoc, bar none. Yeah, I agree with that. So in at number seven, and this is going to be another Diamond Dallas Page match, folks. But this one is going to be probably his greatest feud of all time. And that's Randy Macho Man Savage, another favorite here. Halloween Havoc 1997. It was a Las Vegas sudden death match. And it was fucking awesome. The feud that Page and Macho Man had was fucking legendary in itself. The back and forth between... Uh, you know, fucking DDP and Kimberly and Liz and fucking Macho Man was just awesome. You know, DDP has said many times, <laughs> as he has with other people, that if it wasn't for Macho Man, there wouldn't be a DDP. But he really did help put him on the map with uh, with their feud, you know, and taking the diamond cutter from him and, you know, just working with him because DDP was, was, was a guy high on the mid card until he started working against the NWO and Savage, and that propelled him to stardom. But this fucking match between these two was just fucking awesome. I remember the match. was Now, was this where DDP had entered the line? Was it leading up to this match when he tells Savage, I'll bring the lady, you bring the tram? No, this was after. This was one of their their uh, their last ones. This, they had had that match, I think, before at like Spring Stampede or something. This was much later. Like, this was the same year. 97, if you remember, if you go back to, like, PWI, they had the feud of the year for PWI. But shit got personal between these two motherfuckers. No, it I was mean, never personal. Not not really. No, I mean, I know that. I'm saying, but it, in storyline, it got personal. I mean, they were calling each other's wives sluts and shit. And, I mean, it was fucking, it, it was, like, amazing for, you know, th- this was kayfabe at its finest for two guys who really respected each other. I remember the emotions during that, and it felt real. It was like these two guys want to fucking kill each other. They hate each other. Exactly. It was it was great, you know. But you know, I I remember when Macho passed away, and I mean DDP went out of his way to put up videos and shit. And DDP, we make fun a lot of times. He says, "Well, if it wasn't for this guy, I wouldn't be." But I think for Savage, he definitely means it. And I think it was true. I mean, the two of them were like, it was great, man. They just worked so well together. Well, I think one of the all-time greatest feuds in WCW history has to be DDP and Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah. Far none. Like, 97 was their year. They, they did a lot of cool shit together. And like I said, it put DDP on the fucking map as, as a main event player. And, you know, Randy Savage did a great job in that. So that one, again, that's my number seven. I was debating whether it was going to be higher on the list, but we got some good matches. So, you know, let me let me bring in number six now. 
Number six is one of the another feud in WCW that I think was one of the best ever. And that would be, and I watched this one earlier tonight, from the Halloween Havoc 1993, Vader versus Cactus Jack. Spin the wheel, make the deal. Turns out to be a Texas death match. And again, I watched that tonight before this program. And holy fucking shit. These guys are busted open. There's color. They're doing all kinds of great shit. Harley Race was utilized perfectly. Um, in, in this Texas deathmatch stipulation, if you're not familiar with it, um, once you get a pinfall on somebody, the match is not over. You have a 10-second uh, rest period. Or no, it's a 30-second rest period. Excuse me. You have a 30-second rest period, and then once that's over with, your opponent has to the, the count of 10 to get up. And if they don't, they've lost the match. Very unique concept. But uh, at one point, I know Jack had two falls on Vader. And uh, Vader came back with one fall. And then in the end, they brought out a stun gun. And after Vader did damage to Cactus Jack during the, during the, uh, like the rest period, he gets stunned by fucking uh, Harley Race. And so he doesn't get up for the 10 count after the, the rest period. So Vader retains the World Heavyweight Championship. And it was a shitty way for him to fucking retain the title. But in the feud, I mean, these guys were having some sick, vicious fucking matches. I mean, Vader beat him senseless so many times. You know, don't forget, this was the feud that, that cost his cactus his fucking ear, you know. And he was knocked unconscious at one point and, you know, living, he was homeless. I mean, they did this whole fucking storyline with Cactus and Vader, which was fucking wonderful. And uh, this was the culmination of it. And uh, I, I just fucking love this match. That's when fucking Cactus was eating government cheese and yes, shit. Yes, by the river. Yes. Yes, I remember that. Yes. That was fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean, that was a good feud, too. I mean, that's when Vader was the fucking man. I was scared of Vader back then. That's when Vader would take on, like, two two or three fucking guys at a time. Now, granted, they were local jobbers, right? But he would fucking mow through people. WCW Saturday night, if Vader was on the card, he was beating somebody's ass. Somebody was getting fucked up. Vader was the fucking man from, say, 1991, 92, 93. And then when Hogan came in, Hogan killed him. Because he fucking powerbombed Hogan, and he just got up like nothing happened. And that was the end of Vader. That that was that was his exit out of the company. He well, was Hogan never, he killed was, a lot of people in that fucking company. You exactly. Know? That fucking power bomb on the outside on the concrete to Mick Foley, where he says in his book he he legit thought he was paralyzed. I mean, the two of them just didn't give a fuck. The, neither of them gave a fuck, man. It was great. Now, I, I, again, another one of WCW's greatest feuds was Cactus Jack and fucking Vader. I would I would say that. that their feud was better than anything Sting and Vader ever did. And Sting was the top babyface in the company. Yeah, but Sting wasn't willing to. I mean, look, you look back on, on Cactus Jack's career, and he's admitted it himself. You know, Sting wasn't willing to do the shit. Cactus didn't give a fuck. He never gave a fuck. If anyone gave less fucks than Cactus Jack, it would be impossible as far as personal safety. You know, he would take some vicious fucking bumps you know, I've seen some of his shit from Japan. I mean, he, he was just, you know, Cactus started that hardcore shit. ECW could talk all they want, but he brought hardcore to fucking America, I think. So next up on my list uh, is number five, Steve Austin, Stunning Steve, 
taking on Dustin Rhodes for the world television title. This was a great fucking match for two guys early on in their career. You got to remember Dustin, I think, was only a couple years in the business at this point. So was Steve Austin, because I think he made his debut in 89 and signed with WCW in like 91. So this was like, I don't know, the, the beginnings of their career in WCW. And, you know, Dustin, obviously a noticeable rookie in this match, but they really had some great chemistry and really had a fantastic match. Yeah, and good old JR called this one, I believe, which is ironic. Yes, he did. Considering he would become the biggest Stone Cold, Stone Cold. I don't think Stone Cold would have actually been as big in WWE if as if it weren't for Jim Ross. I mean, you know, just the way he called those matches. So I wondered, you know, if this was like a telltale of the future to come. I mean, I remember Steve really huge when he was with Brian Pillman. And they were the Hollywood Blondes. And then, like, they just, they, <laughs> you got to look back at letting, you know, Stone Cold go. Well, I mean, back then he was just Steve Austin. But you look at letting him go from that company and what he became, you know. But this is this is going way back. I mean, Dustin Rhodes, I remember when he was in WCW, I don't know. When he went to WWE and, and just became Goldust, I was like, wow, really? Yeah. It was a big change for him. You know, he, he really played it off in WCW. He's Dusty's son. Everyone expected everything from him. You know, and I think so many guys, you know, looking back on these old Halloween Havocs, it amazes me. As much as I love the NWO, it did really hurt a lot of guys. It did. It really did. You know, I mean, they went from having one limo to fucking five limos and like 30 people would be there. It was just it was it was bad. Yeah, no doubt. So next up on my list at number four is a tag team match. Tommy Rich, who I was never really a big fan of, to be honest. Tommy Rich and Ricky Morton versus the Midnight Express from Halloween Havoc 1990. First of all, let me say that Ricky Morton, despite the fact I can't stand him, was one of the best baby faces ever in the history of pro wrestling. The guy sold his ass off and was fantastic as a tag team worker. And the Midnight Express, do I really need to fucking go into detail on how awesome those guys were? Stan Lane and fucking Bobby Eaton were amazing. I still want to see them go into the Hall of Fame with Cornette. And someday I think they will. Yeah. It might be after Cornette passes away. But <laughs> oh, that's I, fucked I, up. I don't know. I, I honestly don't think that that bridge will ever be patched while he's alive. I just don't. Yeah, I mean, he said some shit about WWE that, eh, you never know. There's been a lot of bridges being, you know, patched up. But, you know, we're going back to 1990. It's amazing, man. 26 years. You know, again, this is a match I really can't comment too much on because I wasn't really, I didn't have WCW back then. So it's hard for me to really comment on it. Well, like I said, this was a good match. It was very fun. You know, like anytime you look, we obviously know Ricky Morton's tag team partner for the most part and Rock and Roll Express was Robert Gibson. And I can't remember if there was like an injury angle that was going on here with Robert Gibson. But Tommy Rich stepped it up. And like I said, I've never really been a big Tommy Rich fan. But the four of these guys put on a clinic. Moving on to number three, one of my favorite matches 
like ever between two tag teams. And I remember this one very, very well. Um, this one, again, is from 1990. Uh, the Steiner Brothers versus the Nasty Boys from Halloween Havoc 1990. The building that this took place in was the Rosemont Horizon, which is now named something completely different. And I remember having the opportunity to talk to uh, Rick Steiner, I want to say back in 2003, and I, I brought this match up to him. To me, this was the best match on the card in 1990. And this was like a brutal fucking falls count anywhere, fucking no disqualification, fucking these guys were wrestling all over the place. All of them got color. Like there was blood every fucking where. It was a fucking brutal fucking beatdown match between two of the best tag teams in professional wrestling at that point in time. At one point in time, the Steiner brothers were my favorite tag team. I fucking love those guys in WCW. They went to WWF and they were horrible. It was just bad. But fucking WCW, the Steiner brothers were the fucking shit. And the Nasty Boys could brawl with the best of them. And this was just a fucking, oh, fucking brutal ass match. The Nasties and the Steiners, I mean, I think the Steiners, as far as wrestling moves, probably had the upper hand. But the Nasties were good fucking brawlers. I mean, as far as just throwing fists and hands and shit, I mean, without a doubt. I think the Nasties are kind of underrated. I think their early stuff is really good. When you get into their later stuff, not so much. Um, but the Nasty Boys could brawl with anybody. I mean, they've had they've had some great fucking hardcore stuff with even Cactus Jack and, like, Max Payne. Um, you know, and they've had some great matches with Harlem Heat. But I really think the Steiners were probably the best opponents they ever had. In my in my in my opinion, you know, it's not for everybody, but that's just how I feel. I felt bad when the Steiners broke up and like Scott kind of had a pretty successful singles career. I thought Rick never really, unfortunately, got the kind of singles push that Scott got. Scott had a look that Rick didn't. Scott well, was Scott was very I mean, he modeled himself after Billy Graham. Well, yeah. Well, once he broke away from the, the the tag team, he did. I mean, but back then they both had. I mean, his look changed so fucking much. I mean, if you go back and you watch the old, you know, Steiner Brothers matches, you look at it and it's like Scott is, you know, all right, it's Scott. Then when you look at how he looks when he became Big Papa Pump, you you don't think it's the same guy. I mean, he totally changed up his gimmick. The big bad booty daddy. Yeah, but I agree. See, I saw them a lot more in WWE, actually. And while I don't think they were pushed that great, I still knew they were a good tag team. Even though in WWE, like you said, I don't think the Steiners were as, as nearly as big as in WCW. No, they had to conform to the WWF style. And let's face it, 93 was not the greatest year for, for tag teams in WWF. I mean, they had the Beverly Brothers and... <laughs> The head shrinkers were there and the fucking Quebecers, and then you had the Steiners. It just, there were some really fucked up tag teams uh, in the early 90s in WWF. And, and to me, WCW was a really good place for tag team wrestling because not only did you have like the World Tag Team Championships, you had the United States Tag Team Championships as well. So, you know, at any given time, you might have the Steiners as the world champs and you might have Sting and Luger as the U.S. champs or you might have the Freebirds as the tag champs or like the, the fucking roster of talent. WCW was so fucking deep in the early 90s with the tag teams. Um, 
you, you just you can't compare the two. And and like I said, I think the Steiners were at the top of the pile there. And um, I just you know, I encourage anybody to go back and watch this if you want to see a real fucking badass fucking spot fest of a fucking brutal ass match. Steiners and Nasty Boys, nineteen ninety Halloween Havoc, definitely. Well, everyone has said Vince McMahon hates tag teams, so. Well, it couldn't be more obvious. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you have to believe that. So, yeah. number two. And this one is going to surprise some people. Um, I like Lex Luger. I never thought he was that great a worker. I think his early stuff was, was really good. But number two is Brian Pillman versus Lex Luger from 1989 Halloween Havoc. And it was for the... NWA United States Championship. This was before they'd broken off and were not a part of the NWA. And I think Luger was awesome in his NWA days. And this is when he was going into his heel persona back in 1989. And Brian Pillman was an overly fucking hot baby face. Um, these two fucking put on a clinic. I mean, it's a great fucking wrestling match. Uh, unfortunately for Brian Pillman, he failed to take the United States Championship from Lex Luger, but both guys came out of this looking like a million bucks. And for those of you that think Lex is not a very good worker, I recommend you go check this match out. It might change your mind. See, I never really thought Lex was that great, especially when he came to WWE. Don't but- don't don't base him on his WWE stuff. Go back and watch his his NWA stuff. Lex was fucking awesome. Well, he was in great fucking shape his whole career. I mean, there was never a time where I thought that Lex, you know, didn't look like he was in great shape. But it's interesting. I'll have to check this match out because here again is another one that I didn't get to see. And I believe this is from the first Halloween Havoc, the 1989 one. So this to me is the best match on the card as far as, you know, like they had some good. I don't remember every match that was on that card, but this one I think was probably stole the show. So. Definitely check this one out. I watched this one about two weeks ago. Well, Pillman, I know, could fucking go. I mean, Pillman was, I always remember him as being amazing. And again, he was another guy who, you know, the whole WWE shit they tried to, well, that was after he got seriously hurt. So you really can't judge him by that. But that shit with Austin's got a gun. I mean, that's when I thought they took non-PG way too far. Yeah, no doubt. So, we're up to number one. Do you have any ideas what it might be? If you had to guess. I don't know. I'm hoping it's one from an era I remember. I think it will be. Yeah, hope so. Number one. Best Halloween Havoc match of all time. To this day, I still say it is the best match on the card. However, there is another match on this list from the same Halloween Havoc. And that was DDP and fucking Macho Man. But this one, ladies and gentlemen, I think is the best Halloween Havoc match of all time. And it pits two future WWE world champions against one another. Vying for the Cruiserweight Championship. Ray Mysterio Jr. versus Eddie Guerrero. Halloween Havoc 1997. This match is so memorable for so many reasons. Ray Mysterio came out in that that all-purple phantom outfit. Do you remember that? 
Yes. Like, that was probably one of the best outfits he ever fucking wore. And those two were just fucking amazing. At one point, I remember a spot where I guess Ray is going to Hurricane Rana or something, Eddie, out of the fucking ring. And they're on the outside. And he does, like, I, I don't even know how to explain it. He did this fucking luchador kind of fucking flippy flop thing. And turned one move into like another move like it was just i was like what in the fuck did i just see i can't even explain it but some of the shit that these guys fucking did in this match was ahead of its time one of them should have ended up paralyzed i remember thinking that i mean it was crazy i mean this is when you know this was when wcw had all the shit going on with the NWO and they had all the shit going on with all these other main storylines, but you tuned in. I mean, you had guys there, psychosis, fucking Mysterio, Guerrero. You had these, you know, middleweight fucking guys who stole the show every week on Nitro and, I mean, on the pay-per-views, too. They weren't the main event all the time, probably hardly ever the main event. It was always the big boys. But they were putting on, you know, I think that that part of the WCW history, although I will give Bischoff credit because he does give the Luchas credit, but I think that was the main reason to fucking tune in because some of the shit that these, you know, mid-weight, lightweight guys did was fucking great in WCW at that time. Oh, I, we've said this many times. The mid-card in WCW was awesome. You know, you, you watched Nitro to see the luchadors and to watch guys like Jericho and fucking Malenko and Benoit and Mysterio and fucking uh, Raven. Just all these guys in the fucking mid-card worked their ass off. And the main event to me was always kind of lame because it always involved Hogan. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think, you know, I'm going to have to go back and watch this match, but I remember this just from the top of my fucking head. I think the main event for this fucking show was Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan in a cage match or something, and it was abysmal. This was the fucking best match on that card, followed by DDP and fucking Macho Man. Those two matches, in my opinion, stole the show. This one more so than any of them, though. Yeah, I mean, it was a situation where – the the storyline was built for the main event but as far as the wrestling itself that these are the matches you tuned in back then to watch you know and then later on they started mixing these guys with the heavyweights in the nwo and it, it just it didn't work it, it started hurting these guys by not keeping them in their own little niche which is where they belonged you know wrestling each other it was really, really good, good shit and really, really good moves. And, I mean, come on. Do we even need to bother wasting time saying this match was good? You're talking Eddie Guerrero and fucking Rey Mysterio in their prime. That's all I need to say. And Ed, this was when Eddie had slimmed down. Like, remember when, when he first showed up in WCW, he had a little, little weight on him. And by the time this pay-per-view had come around, he was like cruiserweight status. I mean, obviously, he's going for the cruiserweight champion. He was the cruiserweight champion at that point. But he was so fucking thin thinned out. I mean, you could see his veins. His, his, he was just, oh. He was probably the smallest he'd ever been and looked phenomenal. I just, oh. I miss Eddie Guerrero. 
wasn't that around the time when I see, I don't know. No, it was probably later. Wasn't that when Eddie himself admitted, like he started cleaning up? I think so. Later on. Yeah. I think it was around that time. Maybe that's why you saw a dramatic difference in, you know, in size and shit. Well, I don't know. That was 97. So I don't know. I, I think he had, he had a lot of drug problems till 2002, but I could be wrong. I don't know. I, I, I just I miss Eddie Guerrero though. Oh yeah, great character, great in ring worker. He's often duplicated. I mean, how many how many people do do the fucking frog splash? I mean, we just saw it on a pay per view. You know? I I would say he's imitated, not really duplicated. Uh, you know, but he actually took that move from his uh, his former tag team partner that passed away, Art Bar. Oh really? Art Bar used to do the uh, the frog splash, and he used to do it in honor of Art Bar. So that's where the frog splash came from uh freddie guerrero yeah and you look at two guys who really went on to have massive success in wwe you know the last few matches we talked about how these guys went to the wwe and kind of got buried but guerrero and i mean when he had that shit with chavo that whole lot you know lies cheat and steal shit that was freaking great ray mysterio obviously went to wwe and they saw money so these are two guys who kind of you know Straight away from the norm where WCW guys went to WWE and didn't do well. Both these guys did great in that company. Yeah, these guys broke that glass ceiling. And, you know, even though for Ray it was it was more or less a, a tribute to Eddie for him to, to have been world champion, it's funny because of all the guys that went to WWF or WWE and should have been a, a, a world champion, Vader is noticeably absent from that list. You know, Vader went, but he was never a world champion. But two guys that, you know, worked the mid card went there and and proved that they were they were worthy of it and they became champions. So it's a great story. Well, one of the great moments in WWE and and you know, look, let's for one second put aside everything else. You know, that night when Benoit won, you know, the title and both of them are are world champions, you know, two best friends, Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. And Guerrero comes out and they hug. I mean, eh, it's a tragedy for both guys because that was one of my, at one time, one of my favorite moments. You know, it brought a tear to my eye. It it was, for a long time, my favorite WrestleMania moment of all time. Yeah, I mean and, it was and, awesome, you know. And that's but. saying something because before that it was it was when Liz and Macho Man had reunited and you know that that used to bring a tear to my eye. And and I was so happy for Benoit when he won that title and him and Guerrero were standing there at WrestleMania 20 and that embrace and they ended with the 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 fucking confetti falling from the ceiling. It was it was a WrestleMania moment that was worthy of being a WrestleMania moment. And unfortunately, I don't think of it like that anymore, you know, because of what happened. And it it sucks. It really does suck because I was a huge Benoit fan. I was. And I just, I I can't bring myself to watch matches with him now. I just can't. I I just, I can't do it. I'm just appalled. I, I, I can't. And so, unfortunately, that moment will live forever and it will never be shown on the network again. You'll never see it again. They'll yeah. never put I mean, it in a video package for WrestleMania. It just will never happen. Yeah, it is what it is. And, I mean, it sucks. You know, I don't want to get into this shit. You know, I know there's a lot of people who think differently than we do, and, and they're able to look past it. But, 
you know, I'm with you on that. You know, I, I, it sucks. It really does suck because it was a great moment at one time. You know, these are two guys who felt underrated in WCW and they came to WWE and no one in a billion years would have ever thought that both of them would be world champions. And you got, you had that moment. I mean, it exists. It is what it is. Look at it how you will. But as far as Halloween Havoc goes, I mean, we just proved that it was, you know, pr- most of the time a pretty damn good pay-per-view. Uh, two honorable mentions of the worst Halloween Havoc matches ever. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, number two would have to be the Chamber of Horrors match from 19, I, I want to say 90. Or maybe it was 91. I don't even remember the fucking year. This is off the top of my head. <clears throat> that one, I think it was 91. That one was uh, horrible because the fucking cage mechanism kept falling down for the electric chair. And that one had Scott Hall and Vader and fucking Cactus Jack and Sting and Eligante. You name it, Abdullah the Butcher, uh, the Steiner brothers were in it. It was just a fucking clusterfuck. Wait a minute. Was that the one where Abdullah got thrown in the fucking electric chair at the yes, end? Yes, sir. That's the one. The oh, Chamber my. Chamber of fuck. Horrors match. Why is it I actually remember that one? Maybe I did go back and watch some WCW shit. Because you remember <laughs> it because it's fucking horrible. One guy was supposed to end up in the electric chair, but somehow uh, poor Abdullah. I think Abdullah got thrown in there and Mick didn't know it and threw the lever or something. I don't remember what happened. Well, no, that was the finish. That was, He fried his own partner. And, yeah. and Abdullah fucking fried, and it probably smelled like pork in that motherfucker. Oh, come on. I don't know if that warrants being the worst. I mean, it was- no, I didn't say it was the worst. I said it's number two. But still, I mean, the ending was worth it because Abdullah did sell his ass off. I mean, <laughs> if only Abdullah had the acting skills of fucking Devon Dudley. Because when Devon gets electrocuted, he's fucking twitching and shit. Fucking Abdullah, not so much. He's just fucking, you know, frying. And it's amazing how alive kayfabe was back then that people actually thought someone was getting electrocuted. Well, the fucking switch is fucking falling. Like, you can see it. You know, it's like ridiculous. At one point, Mick has to pull the switch up. In the fucking, it's horrible. It, it was a, it was so cheesy. I, I I put that up there with Sting and RoboCop. Not that that was a Halloween Havoc match, but come on, it would never work today. No. Okay, so number one, the worst ever Halloween Havoc match. Worse than that. Worst of all time. Fucking Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior from Halloween Havoc 1998. Ugh. That match was so cringeworthy because neither one of them seemed like they knew what the fuck they were doing. Their timing was off. It was a horrible match. At one point, Hogan goes to Fireball Warrior, and he fireballs his own fucking face. Yeah. And singes his goddamn eyebrows off. And then in the end, he gets the pin over the Warrior. It was just, it was fucking laughable. It was horrible. Okay, the premise behind this match, and Hogan mentioned this in the i don't know if you guys one of my favorite dvds was the one that uh, wwe did about wcw and hogan mentioned that his plan was to blind warrior and warrior was supposed to finish the match blind he was supposed to fight back blind and he fucked that up and even eric bischoff has come out and said i love hulk hogan he's one of my best friends I'll, i'll always be his friend 
But that match fucking sucked. Even Bischoff admitted it, that it was bad. Oh, it was so fucking bad. So fucking bad. That is going to do it for our look at Halloween Havoc. The 10 best matches, in my opinion, and two really bad ones. And uh, I think that's going to do it, man. Uh, You know, one last thing I want to say, and I'm going to keep this really, really quick. And I know Unplugged has always been a a show that, uh, you know, covers movies, covers everything. Just out of the blue, man, I got to see, and I spoke to JJ about this earlier, X-Men Days of Future Past, the Rogue Cut. And you can buy this on Blu-ray. And it has about 30 minutes of extra footage and I'm gonna I'm gonna give a quick spoiler. Two scenes that changed the whole aspect of the movie that were great. The first is about a 25 minute segment where after Kitty Pride gets injured by a thrashing Wolverine, they go and they rescue Rogue. She comes, she takes Kitty's powers, and she takes over. So for the second half of the movie, Rogue is the person who's keeping logan in the past great scene the second great scene is where mystique shows up at the mansion in the past because she has nowhere else to go and she meets up with beast and both of them are in human form and then she changes into her natural form beast turns into beast and i mean they're about two minutes away from fucking and of course dumbass geeky beast She's offering it, and he doesn't take it. His dumb ass. So those were two, just two of the scenes that were added to this. Again, it's called The Rogue Cut. And I thought it made the movie a lot better. You guys need to check it out. I'll definitely check it out. But Days of Future Past was one of my favorite X-Men movies, I got to admit. I like what they did with that. Um, there were some holes in the story. I'm looking forward to Apocalypse next year. Oh, yeah. Hopefully that turns out to be good. Um, just, oh, but I'll have to check that out. Yeah, the addition of Rogue really helped. I mean, it filled in the story. There were a few more extra scenes where they explained a little bit. I don't know why this wasn't the original theatrical cut because it was. I thought it was so much better. But th- that is my favorite X-Men movie, without a doubt. My, my absolute favorite, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Well, on that note, I think we're going to get out of here. Make sure you're checking out all the programming here on the SNS Radio Network. Eventually, I know we'll we'll get back to doing shows on a weekly basis, but for now, it is what it is. Harmony is getting better. Hopefully, this surgery that she just last had takes, and she has a full recovery. I have my fingers crossed, so if you believe in prayer, feel free to do so if you choose to. But uh, you guys know all the programming here, you know, Make sure you're checking out and supporting the guys that are still podcasting every week. Bronx and I will be back at some point in the next couple of weeks. I'm not sure when. I'm sure something will come up that will make us want to talk about something. <laughs> and we'll come back and do a show. But uh, for now, it is what it is. This has been the Halloween edition of Unplugged for 2015. So uh, say goodnight, Bronx. And night, everybody. Happy Halloween. Belated happy Halloween. And hope you set your clocks back or you'll be fucked when you go to work tomorrow. That's right. You will be fucked. So uh, Bronxy has a song of the night. We're going to play some uh, some DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. <laughs> Long before the Fresh Prince was a fucking millionaire. <laughs> on that note, we'll see you next time right here on Unplugged. 
Peace. I'm out of here. Hold up, that hurt. It wasn't a dream, man. 
this guy was for real I said, Freddy, uh, how it's been an awful mistake here No further words, and then I darted upstairs Crashed through my door, then jumped on my bed Pulled the covers up over my head Said, oh, please do something with Fred He jumped on my bed, but through the covers with his claws Tried to get me, but my alarm went off And then silence, it was a whole new day I thought... <laughs> I wasn't scared of him anyway Until I noticed those rips in my sheets And that was proof that there had been a nightmare on my street